Welcome, creeps, to Ghoul School Special Number Three. I'm Dean of Dismemberment, Jared Duncan. I am the Chud Loaf. We're taking a break from our crying Trinian creep to plunge deep into the depths of the dark side of cinema, the horror film of new and old during the best year, uh, time of year to do so. Uh, before we talk about what we've seen, though, hey, RJ, how are you? Uh, I'm okay. Did you say plunge? plunge? Did you say pl- plunge deep? Because I think that's a pretty cool word. That's new. <laughs> is that is that a new hip word that the kids are using? Yeah, they're, they're all about plunging. Yeah. Oh, man, I got up in there. I plunged so deep. <laughs> Ew. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of gross. A little um, gross. But, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good, man. Uh, I don't got a lot to report. It's October. Things are happening. Things are driving. Nope. There's a lot of pumpkins out. Oh, so there's so cool. many pumpkins out. Uh, yeah, it's I, wicked. I just got back from the grocery store, and there was just, like, people loading up pumpkins left and right. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming they're making jack-o'-lanterns, because uh, mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. seems like that's, like, the only reason to buy a pumpkin. I guess unless you really want your uh, pumpkin pie filling to be uh, legit pumpkin, and not just uh, Edie Smith uh, mm-hmm. pumpkin sludge. <laughs> I uh, like to roast the pumpkin seeds, oh. so I double down on my pumpkins after I carve them. Oh, wow. That's a little little fact about RJ. That's pretty fun for you. No. Uh, what uh, do you carve pumpkins? No, uh, I I used to as a lame. kid. Eh, it's too much work and messy and mm. rotty and I don't know. It hardly seems like uh, the best use of my time. All my time now goes to watching movies, uh, mm-hmm. buying things online that I don't get to read or watch, and then podcasting about these things. <laughs> Well, what about having a fun activity for you and your lady and your kitty? I mean, when we do it, our cats are like in pumpkins. They're having fun. They got the pumpkin stuff on their head. It's hilarious. Everybody has a good time. Yeah, the cats always march around and make, mm-hmm. make little trippy sounds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to do something new with pumpkins this year. So uh, I'm just going to tease that a little bit and uh, you'll know more about it next time. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. uh, this episode out, uh, while we... I guess we kicked it down the road from last episode since it went long talking about just the movies we'd watched. But mm-hmm. uh, we were going to talk about books, horror books, books spooky books. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so RJ, uh, tell me about books. Well, uh, a book is a device that allows people to translate ideas through written word. Oh, wow. Um, is that what you wanted yep perfect i think yes i think you summed it up uh i can't argue with that mm-hmm. and uh i guess we'll just move on and i guess that's the podcast yeah uh no i don't know man um i guess if we're talking about books i'll just lay it down here that uh, i am a fan of the reading i try to read uh, a book a month as a personal goal i've been doing pretty good this year i think i'm at um I think October is the only one I am not on pace with yet, but that's because I was reading that big bastard it by old Steve. So that one might dip into the next month and I'll just bang out a shorty in between to boost up my numbers. But so when you say read, do you actually read, read or do you just audio booking? Cause I know you're an audio book file. Uh, yeah, I do both. Um, so I, this is going to sound dumb, but I, I always have a physical book on the go and then a audio book on the go. I don't think so, that sounds dumb as much as, that's pretty common, I think. 
Yeah. 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 Okay. Like I, I remember I explained that once to someone and I was like, uh, I was trying to explain the book and they're like, well, maybe you don't know because you read two books at once. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my pride. Um, and well, actually that the Burn. reason for that, yeah, the reason for that was because I had a physical book, but I also had an ebook on my um, electronic device because mm-hmm. sometimes uh, when uh, Andrea is sleeping, uh, the desk lamp I have is a little too bright, so I switch to my e-tablet deal and uh, read off of that. So, and that is a different book from the physical book and the audio book. Okay. So sometimes I have three on the go, which is a little bit ridiculous. But uh, no, yeah, I do. Uh, I do burn out a lot of um, audio books uh, at work. So I think for that. Uh, I should shit. I don't have it with me, but I think I'm at like 12 or 15 for the year in audiobooks and about 10 for real physical books this year so far. <laughs> uh, that's that's doing a little bit better than me. Um, I wish I could read more books, but I wish f- you could read. I wish I could read. Um, it's it's just a struggle. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. It just purely like I mean, I just watch a lot of movies instead of reading. Um, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I can get way more, many more movies watched than getting one book. Because I mean, generally a book will take you, I don't know, ten to fifteen hours to read, depending on the length of what you're reading. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I read it a good clip when I actually commit, but I find that uh, if I if a book even wavers a little bit in like padding out of its like whatever I'm reading and like it lo- loses my interest, it loses my interest completely. And like mm-hmm. I have I have uh, many a book where I've like got bookmarks at like the three quarter mark, and I just never bother to finish it because I feel like I've got what I need out of it, even though I didn't mm-hmm. actually read the end of the story. But right. I don't know. I'm I'm a bad reader. Um, outside of like probably nonfiction stuff. Like I, I will read nonfiction books like with, without any real problems, but I find fiction is a lot harder. Um, I find that a lot of writers simply aren't that great. Um, it's mm-hmm. usually, and sometimes their work is more elevated by their subject matter rather than their actual technical writing skill. So I find right. that like I'm really aware when I'm reading books, uh, like when there's like bad dialogue, and I just go, Ugh. and if someone's like writing a lot of bad dialogue over and over again, it's just like, oh man, I can't, I can't get over this. So that usually, like, I don't know. There's like so many things that like can draw me out of a book that. I just generally try to avoid them as much as possible sometimes. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know, like I said, like just a couple of weeks ago, you know, I went and uh, got a copy of Red Dragon and I read the first two chapters of that. And I was like, yeah, this is really good. And I haven't picked it up since we recorded that mm-hmm. episode. And it just sits on my sh- uh, desk uh, right with uh, Gerald's game. And right. uh, I, I mean, I was enjoying both those when I was reading them. But then, you know, I get drugged off into the world of watching movies. And I can watch like, yeah, three movies in the time it would take me to read like a, a tenth of the book. Mm-hmm. Well, melees forever, I guess. Hey? Yeah, I'll leave the, the real readings to the to you folk, you book readers with your words. You bookworms. I, I like my pictures. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I can sympathize with that because I'm actually a super slow reader. So it takes me a long time to read. Yeah. Um, I don't know why. I'm just real, real slow, but I do squeeze it in whenever I can. So I think that's the, uh, the only saving grace for me actually getting done books mm-hmm. uh, is just, you know, because sometimes Andrew is watching some stories and uh, I'm not really into them. So I, I just read on the side. Right. Like here, there, everywhere, yeah. whatever you like, Jer. Whoa. Ooh. Yeah, I guess like, cause I, yeah, I guess I would say I am a fast reader. I read about a page mm-hmm. a minute. So like when I, when I commit to a book, I'm like pretty, uh, uh, committed. Like I will, f- 
yeah. read, read, read until if, but if something stops me, <laughs> if something mm-hmm. else, ha- if some shiny new toy comes along, I'd be like, Ooh, and then I'm off. So yeah. it's gotta, I yeah. don't know. Mm-hmm. I get distracted sometimes. There's only a couple books that I have never finished that I just gave up on. And then there is, um, a couple books that I didn't finish because I was reading it or audiobooking it and then I really enjoyed it and so I bought the physical copy because I was like, oh, yeah. I'm just going to read this for real. Like uh, that happened with um, The Passage and uh, a book called Night Film. Uh, I'll get to that stuff. But okay. I think the only the only real – there's two books I can think of that I actually just stopped. One was uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Yeah. Because it was so fucking boring. I Jean just couldn't, <laughs> Yeah, I just couldn't get through it. I tried so many times and I couldn't. And then um, Infinite Jest, which I've brought up a few yeah. times. And I'm not even going to lie. I, oh. I, I tried it like three or four times and I was just like, man, fuck this book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. Whatever. I, I, yeah. th- that book's neither here nor there. Um that that's like the worst book for me to try reading. I just lose mm-hmm. interest in stuff, and it's like, oh boy, here's tennis. It's tennis school, and I'm done. Because like I like on paper that book sounds wicked, but it in uh, actual practice it's not so wicked. Right. And anyway, we're not here to discuss uh, David Foster Wallace. We're here to talk about nope. uh, horror books. Um, oh, right, right, right. So, uh, what's like one of the first horror books you read, if you remember? Hmm. Uh, that's a tough call, but I did actually. I um. I did try to think back to this, and uh, I couldn't tell you the first actual book, but I can tell you the two franchises that I remember reading the most as a little kid, and uh, they are more or less horror. Uh, one was called The Zack Files, which was a fun uh, little fr- a series of books about uh, a kid named Zack, and he would it was basically like The X-Files, so like each book he would be like, oh, this book he's invisible, or this book he's like turned into a fly, like stuff like that, and it was just following like the wacky adventures of this kid named Zach. That was super cool. So the Zach files. And then there was a, there was actually a a series of Canadian books called uh, the night owls. And it was about like a kid's hockey team that also solved mysteries. So they'd be at like a summer camp and there would be a murder. So like, uh, like some young boys and girls from the hockey team would go out and find the dude who did it. So uh, Zach files and the night owls, some premium uh, young adult to, child uh horror mystery type books cool yeah, yeah um my uh early childhood books i guess that i would have been reading was like i loved me uh there was like it was gus was a friendly ghost and okay. like it was just like a, a line of like children's books uh if you just like google search them and look at images just type in gus the ghost and there's like there's like gus goes to school and gus was a friendly ghost and what's mm-hmm. a ghost going to do and stuff like that and it's just like this like harmless little cute little white kind of uh ghost and he is like a cat friend who actually now that i'm looking at images reminds me a lot of my own cat <laughs> um maybe mm-hmm. that that explains my uh adoration for my my wee cat um, right. and then also there was the, uh, I mean, who even, I couldn't tell exactly what like the, my early horror books were per se, but another one would have been the, uh, the Bunicula books. Oh yeah. Yeah. Those were good. Those yeah. Those were cool. Yeah. Those were kind of cool. Um, mm-hmm. th- that, that was something. Um, but yeah, and actually the, the one line of books that, and this kind of goes into the, uh, uh, nonfiction kind of movie reference thing, which is actually probably my favorite type of book, uh, which I'll right. talk about a little bit later, is the uh, Crestwood House Monster series, which I didn't like realize was a thing again until 
actually it was like the uh, Cinemassacre uh, did a episode on it. And I went, oh my God, it's those books. Because I remember those books vividly from my elementary school little library. They had like the orange book covers and like black and white monster stuff that like was like, right. I would like, I loved it. I loved those books to death. I got them out all the time. Because it was like, at that point, it was like, you couldn't really watch these movies a lot on television. Um, it seemed like the video stores and like library around here were terrible and didn't actually have these things on tape. So right. getting to, I got to experience these movies for the very first time as these still images. And I got to mm-hmm. make way more interesting movies in some, t- in some cases uh, than the the actual movies are. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that, you, you know, yeah that's a, that, that's about where I'm at with my kids' books. And then, yeah, I mean, I imagine that you and I both share a same uh, experience reading uh, Goosebumps um, in, yeah. our, in our pre-teen days. Those, those yeah, were all I, the craze. I liked the uh, Choose Your Own Adventure ones. Yeah. Oh, because like, yeah, those were the Goosebumps books. Those were like actually coming out when I was like in grade five, I think. Like they were like, it was active. Like they were like at book five, I think, when I first started seeing those really cool covers. And like you got to attribute so much of those, the success of those books to those covers. Oh, absolutely. Like that's, I think that's the only reason that uh, um, old R.L. Fine is doing as good as he is. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, what about in your, uh, teenage days when, uh, I think that's when like the real, uh, horror, uh, lust comes out, I think is in, in, horror in, lust? in, 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 in teenage kids brains and they want blood and guts and the, mm. the occult, the, uh, forbidden, all that cliche. Right. Shit. Right. <laughs> uh, well this might surprise you, but, uh, in my teen years, I, I wasn't actually reading that much horror. It, uh, it came after, Okay. Um, yeah. So like in my teens, I was a, a big advocate of the Harry Potters because mm-hmm. uh, that came out. I think the first one came out when I was like uh, nine or ten. And so like I was the age that they were in the books for each book. So that was like one big franchise that I hit pretty heavily. Um, and there were there were things that I read, but like nothing really horror. It was kind of I think it was probably when I was like. 19 or 20 that's when i actually started getting into horror yeah. like for for books at least so okay, so harry potter and the philosopher's stone that came out in 98 from so, a, yeah. like that's scholastic yeah when they yeah. started so i was out in the states yeah so i was eight then and i think he there are 10 in the book and like he turns 10 in okay. that book so i was like around the age okay. for each of those so i mean it's not horror but you could it's like fantasy stuff that it's got J.K. Rowling throws in some suspenseful things in those books, especially for a little kid. Right. So uh, I'd say probably that was uh, the transition, like from Zach Files, Night Owls, Goose Bumps into like Harry Potter. And then through Harry Potter, you get into some of the hard shit like Ray Bradbury, <laughs> Stephen King. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like I think when my yeah, so for for me, uh right at that turning point to adolescence, um, I was like kind of reading the goosebumps, but then like uh some of my other friends, they were like kinda of, they wanted they were getting into like the harder stuff. And so uh, I was like following their lead, I guess. But like I remember uh I think one of the first horror books I really actually read uh like multiple times was uh the is The Watchers by Dean Coons. Um oh. which like I don't know. Something about that book I really liked. I like the characters. I like the – because it's about a smart dog and then there's like the evil dog, mm-hmm. the dog monster science experiment thing. Uh, right. But I loved that book when I was a kid. I read that like lots. 
Um, and like it says something, but like Dean Koontz is like writing so that like uh, kids in grade five can like read this book and comprehend yeah. it. Whereas like at the same time, um, that was like the day of like the paperbacks were just like being pushed so hard, and like uh, the era of like post Jurassic Park, uh, Michael Crichton. So like I remember mm-hmm. like getting and reading Congo, <laughs> and it's like oh, yeah. that that book is like techno babble, as is like huge swaths of Jurassic Park, except for like the best parts of Jurassic Park, which is like when the dinosaurs start eating people. And like that's like that was like those were the highlights, which like I guess those were kind of like horror books to a certain mm-hmm. degree, or acted that way for me, because which I guess like people forget when you watch the movies because they don't really play like horror at all, except for that the lofter the whatever it is the spinning yeah. one. That oh, one. the the guy who got Newman. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, no, yeah, I agree with you. I think those movies kind of miss it, but the guy who's making Jurassic World two mm. says he's going to make it a horror movie Whoa. about animal treatment. Ah. ah, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah. So yeah, I kind of transitioned from like the Coons, and then like at that point, I think I had been turned on to like Edgar uh, Allan Poe because of that mm-hmm. uh, one uh, Simpsons episode <laughs> of the, oh, the Treehouse, uh, Treehouse of, Horror. of Horror with the Poe. I was like, wow, this is kind of cool. And then I like, got yeah, I don't know. I was always a horror kid, so um, mm-hmm. I mean, I would try reading Stephen King books, and I don't think I really had much success ever actually finishing any Stephen King stuff. It just like wasn't like I wasn't ready to read that stuff. Um, oh. Because you're a bad person. Well, yeah, I guess so. I was a bad kid. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just like I I would get it out from the library and like read a li- bits of it, but so it was so long, I just like couldn't get through it. Um, mm-hmm. And like honestly, then like that was also kind of like that big heyday of Stephen King. So I mean, you know, I'd be like, oh, here's the new Stephen King in paperback, Insomnia, <laughs> and it's like, oh, oh my, here's my yeah. first Stephen King, and like trying to read that, and it's like this is boring. But I mean, I would go to the yeah. library, so I remember buying that, and I have a copy of that somewhere, um, and like trying to read it. And I've like talked about it before, like uh, I think on the on this show, or maybe just talking to you, uh, like mm-hmm. the one copy I had of like. Um, the Stephen King's The Shining with the, like the metal silver co- color with the blank face. Like I had a copy of that in my house for years because I got it from a cousin and that thing like I could never, I never actually read that book, but it just like freaked me out. Um, right. But then like, yeah, and then I remember uh, when we had like one uh, chain of bookstores, it was like Smith Books. I remember finding a copy of H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. It was like a collection of stuff called like The Transition of H.P. Lovecraft. And it was like Road mm-hmm. to Madness. It has this really cool cover. And uh, I think the f- one story that really stuck out in there for me was this one called The Outsider, mm-hmm. which I think is like uh, the basis for the movie Castle Freak by, directed by Stuart Gordon. And it's okay. just like this whole idea of this like man who's like wandering around in a basement and of this like old mansion. And he's like lived in darkness for years and years and years. And then he finally hears some like weird sounds and he like comes up through this wall and it's like at this party being held in this house. Right. And he like sees a reflection of himself because all these people are freaking out, and he turns out I'm the monster, <laughs> like that. Th- which like at the time I'm like, whoa, that's so cool because I was <laughs> 11. <laughs> like that's amazing. Yeah. I, it's like me. I'm I'm a monster too, and but I don't know. I don't know. However, that goes. You are kind of a monster. I well, think. yeah, that's neither. So I I understand why you identify yeah. with that. But the big the the big book for me though when I was a, a lad was The Thief of Always by Clive Barker. Mm-hmm. Um, that book I love the bits. I have no idea if it holds up, but it mm-hmm. has all these really great illustrations by Clive Barker. Um, it was kind of like uh, Harry Potter pre Harry Potter type of story. Proto Harry. Yeah, kid winds up at a house 
with like other kids who are delinquents and like really creepy kooky things are happening. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's Clyde Barker writing for like young readers and stuff like that. But um, and I also, I mean, I haven't read a lot of Clyde Barker, but I feel like it might be one of his best books <laughs> based on mm. very little that I've read. So yeah. uh, one, well, I, one day I hope to change that, but. I've heard you bring that up before and uh, I think you should get in there because I actually haven't read that one, but uh, I have audiobooked. A, a bit of Clyde Barker, like Hellbound Heart and Magica, which is like Magica was like a 35 hour audio book. So mm-hmm. that I think that's like I think when he he like writ that book or wrote that book in like a month and he like describes that as like his big world. But he's got a lot of cool ones that I've wanted to get into, like Weave World and uh, like the books of blood are supposed to be great. I don't know why I haven't read those yet, but uh, those are supposed to be super dope. Have you read uh, The Damnation Game? Uh, I th- no, no. Okay. No, I, I think I, I have it on my phone for like an audiobook, but yeah. I haven't actually listened to it yet. Yeah. I, I've seen that book pop up a lot on like best of lists and mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. Cause I mean, I've, I actually, I have a, uh, copies of the book of the books of blood. Um, mm-hmm. I just actually need to, again, commit to actually reading this stuff, which would require me cutting out movie watching. And I mean, there's just, <laughs> I don't know how when that's going to happen, but, uh, I have, a, I have a problem, um, that my girlfriend could attest to. I like to buy stuff and collect stuff. So, mm. um, I have, I already do comics. Uh, we could probably right. spend an episode just talking about horror and comics. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so I like comics and I like movies. So I have, a uh, quite a few DVDs and Blu-rays and stuff like that. And then I also mm-hmm. have my books and I just like to buy books because it's like, well, you know, maybe this will go out of print or maybe that, that impulse will hit me. Like, I just want to pick this up and read it right now. And I must right. well just have a copy of it laying around for me to do it because I don't do audiobooks too much. I actually just listened to my first audiobook this year, mm-hmm. uh, which was On Writing by Stephen King. Oh, um, yeah. And then I also narrated that, by yeah, Stephen King. Yeah, f- yes, which was uh, amazing. And mm-hmm. uh, I followed that up with uh, Catching the Big Fish by David Lynch. Um, and that was, uh, just kind of funny hearing David Lynch talking about transcendental meditation. Um, but since then, I think the next thing I've got for my audiobook listening will be the death of WCW, um, which is just about pro wrestling. Um, and that's like a 15 hour thing. So, uh, and I still haven't started that. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Uh, where do you want this conversation to really go? Because do you want to want to name some books that you really like, or? Um, yeah, I can do that. I can detail some things that I think are uh, essential reading. Yeah. I was gonna say though, I can I can definitely relate to you collecting like mass content without actually getting into it because uh, I have a lot of the similar um, interests as you. But the uh, the books I think is the one thing that I might surpass you on because I buy a lot of books and like I don't I never feel bad buying books because I know I will eventually read them yeah but I have like a ton of stuff like I could do a top five of top five horror books that I own and want to read but I haven't actually got to them yet so maybe I'll I can burn through those or save those for later or something but there's lots of good stuff out there Jer I I hear that yeah but yeah I don't know what do you want to hear about you want to hear about my favorite stuff go for it yeah just I don't care Tell me. You don't care. You don't care. Uh, well, I think my favorite uh, horror book is Heart Shaped Box by Joe Hill. Mm-hmm. I uh, I am a big Joe Hill fan. I think his stuff is great. Um, most of his stuff is horror. Uh, another one of his like Lock and Key, which is the horror comic, that's also terrific. Um, if anyone out there isn't familiar with that, but um, Heart Shaped Box is a ghost story about uh, a burnt out uh, rock and roll roll star who 
kind of he's into like all this death fetish type of things like he was basically like a like a judas priest type of rocker or like some kind of like metal death rock type of dude so he's like into all this stuff and he he's got like he watches snuff films and he's always looking for creepy things and then uh he finds um something online someone sends him a link to a page where you can buy a ghost and so he does and then uh without really expecting anything to happen and then then there's ghosts and you go on a, a wondrous adventure with judas coin and uh the ghost from the heart-shaped box um mm-hmm. i love that book i think it's super good i think it's got genuinely scary things like i find it's kind of sometimes hard for me to be scared reading i don't i don't really know why i think it's because i can set my own pace to it or something but uh i thought there were there were elements in heart-shaped box that were legitimately ghoulish and terrifying so i think that book is super good that's probably my favorite horror book yeah, uh, I've read that book actually too, and uh, yeah, I remember just like uh, Joe Hill's a good writer. Uh, he he doesn't like make he doesn't annoy me with any like weird mm-hmm. ticks, obvious ticks. I mean, probably his most like ob- obvious, like kind of like noticeable thing for me is like how much his stuff is like Stephen King's. Um, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, that's kind of to be expected. Um, but it's not too bad. But yeah, no, he has a good sense of characters and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. great, great concepts and setup and stuff like that. So yeah, no, I uh, I would agree. I think that would be a, a good recommendation. Heart shaped mm-hmm. box by Joe Hill, and actually yeah. p- pretty well the whole suite of Joe Hill uh, stuff mm-hmm. that's out there, uh, particularly his comic uh, Lock and Key, with, right? Uh, Gabriel Rodriguez, yeah, yes, yeah. Uh, that that I, I think that's actually probably the best thing that he's done so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's also super good. Um, I read all of his stuff except for uh, Nosferatu, which is my December book mm-hmm. this year. But uh, yeah, I think Heart Shaped Box is at the top and then Lock and Key uh, and then maybe 20th Century Ghosts, which is his short story collection and then Horns and then <laughs> The Fireman, his newest one, which is like, it's okay. It's it's pretty good, but it's um it's not as good as his other books, I guess. Yeah. But yeah. People enough. out there, I'm sure if you like horror, you've probably stumbled across Joe Hill. Mm-hmm. He's a pretty cool dude. What else you dig? Uh, I really like Ray Bradbury. And I know that might sound kind of lame because it's like super old stuff. But I think a lot of current writers, well, even like they're very open about like their influences. And it's like Lovecraft, Ray Bradbury, uh, sci-fi dudes like Philip K. Dick and Vonnegut. The yeah, soul, bro. All, all, all them dudes. Uh, but I really like Ray Bradbury. I've already mentioned before uh, the Halloween tree, which is like my favorite shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he has another book. Like, so it's it's hard to talk about him, his stuff because he's got a ton of short stories. And depending on which collection you own, you might have some of them, but not others. Mm-hmm. So like it, it, you can't, there's not really any that you can just, like I don't think collections that you can name out because some people might have a different version, but there is one that's a constant and it's called uh, the October Country, yes. and uh, that that's a super good collection of um, uh, just like horror and Halloween uh, themed books. I read that last October actually, and I thought it was super good. Um, I'll just name like there's a few because I was looking, and I was like, it's easy to just name like a collection or an anthology and just be like, Oh yeah, that's good. But, uh, there's three stories in there that I think are super good. Uh, one is called the emissary and it's about a dog. So people should go see that cause it's awesome. Uh, there's one called the scythe 
And it's about a guy who's basically like the literal Grim Reaper. And as he scythes through wheat, uh, he's taking lives. That, that story is also very good. And then uh, my favorite one is called uh, The Man Upstairs. And uh, that story is super fucking good. It's about like a little kid who uh, his house is like uh, not like a bed and breakfast, but you know, like when they have rooms to rent for like tenants, like, like not like a hotel, but like where it's run by like a family. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like that, a little boy who lives there and then uh, a man moves in and the little boy suspects that he's a, a vampire. Mm-hmm. Uh, that story is fucking awesome. It's got a super cool ending, uh, that I think is really like, I don't know. It's very, uh, I don't know. At the time that he wrote it, you, I was surprised that he was allowed to kind of say that stuff and it would get published. So I think the ending of that story is super cool. And just that story in general is awesome. That would make like, uh, I think it, I don't, I'm not sure if it's in the Ray Bradbury theater. Um, but I think most of like a good chunk of his short stories are. So I actually have all of those on DVD. I'll, I'll go check them out or check out if it's on there. But if it's not, that would be a, a really sweet, like, tales from the crypt episode or something like that mm-hmm. like a real good little anthology there um yes what else man what about you do you got anything else you want to talk about in there uh first for books Jeez. Yeah. um i guess like uh since i'm a lazy reader i i tend to gravitate toward uh short stories and mm-hmm. so uh, I've got a little couple suggestions for short stories uh there's a brian lumley short story that's pretty good called the thin people Okay. Um, and it's just kind of like a, it's more like, more like a, it's a third person narration discussing like this, th- these things called th- like thin people that like kind of hide behind street lamps and stuff like that. And yeah, they walk around at night and they're so thin and they are so tall that you just like don't really notice them because they can hide in shadows and whatnot. Uh, mm-hmm. very effective, nice little short story from him. Um, probably one of my favorite short stories is, uh, I have no mouth and I must scream by Harlan Ellison. Okay. Um, so it's like in the science fiction, uh, side of things, but it is most definitely a horror, uh, story. Uh, are you familiar with it at all? Uh, no, I'm not. Okay. First I've heard of so, it. So yeah, uh, I, I, so like, I, I love Harlan Ellison. I think he is just superb. I think he's just mm-hmm. uh, super smart and, uh, I love, I just love reading his writing. Um, but this is a story that is set kind of like in a post-apocalypse. Uh, there are only like four people, like four human beings left and they're mm-hmm. being kept alive by this artificial intelligence. Uh, it's like, basically it's like Skynet from Terminator. Um, mm-hmm. it, it basically became sentient and it wiped out humanity and it, but it's keeping this like number of people alive for its own sadistic pleasure. Um, mm. and so you get to experience the story of these four people who are kind of like having to survive this new hellscape created by this artificial intelligence who's just sadistic right. and bored and it's just people like they, but they die, but then they, they get brought back to life. And no matter what happens, you just, you start over again. You, no matter what happens, you just keep getting brought back and back. Um, but it's actually kind of like, it's out of like this total dark pr- premise. Uh, it actually is kind of uplifting, <laughs> oh, but it, it's, but okay. it's, but it's like really messed up. It's like, uh, there, uh, Harlan Nelson actually was involved in the writing for this, uh, uh, PC version of the game where you actually play okay. like an art, like role-playing version of this story. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's such a good title. It's like such, it's like probably one of the first things that uh, I remember hearing about Harlan Ellison. And I'm like, I have no mouth and I must scream. I'm like that sounds terrifying. And, mm-hmm. uh, the story is just like, yeah, it's really always kind of stuck in my head. 
Um, cool. I mentioned already the uh, the Outsider by Lovecraft. Um, I guess, mm-hmm. but then yeah, I mean like Ambrose Bierce short stories. Um, uh, so he's a writer there from the turn of the century, American guy, kind of doing that kind of gothic st- stuff, but with kind of a dark sense of humor almost, like the damned thing short story, which uh, if you're not familiar with, it's just about uh, an invisible entity that can't be detected by any senses, mm-hmm. uh, and it just kills you. <laughs> but right. uh, it's, it's again done in this kind of matter of fact way, where the story's kind of told secondhand, where this man's now being brought before uh, trial for killing somebody, and he's like he's trying to talk about this thing that like killed this person that he's being blamed for killing, and mm-hmm. there's like no way to prove it, and it's just this idea of like what's the unknown and unseeable, and like you can't detect something, and like kind of like the horror, like the horrible idea or I notion of that being something like well what if there's something that you can't see that could just kill you outright yeah like it's like uh i don't know invisible cougar i guess like that sort of thing uh but just like again like amber spears is just such a good writer that um he sets up these parameters of this world really well and just has that old classy spooky sensibility Mm-hmm. Um, and then just for like a general, like, uh, outstanding, uh, contemporary horror, uh, collection of short stories, uh, Thomas Ligotti, um, uh, mm-hmm. who I guess rose to my radar because of the weird, uh, kind of scandal that came about with like true detective season one. Um, oh, like, right. so cause the, uh, Nick writer of that, Nick, uh, Pizzolotti or whatever it is. Pizzolotti? Yeah. Whatever. Pizzolotti. Yeah. So he got like these accusations from Thomas Ligotti fans of basically mm-hmm. wholesale lifting um, like passages and writing right from uh, the book, The Conspiracy Against the Human Race, which is a more of like a treatise on like philosophy and like yeah. the, the the darkness of humanity um and just like well he just used that for all the rust and coal stuff that people loved most out of that mm-hmm. show and he's like no i just came to it on my own way but it's like well no mm-hmm. this is like word for word and i don't think he ever like full-on denied it i think he said yeah thomas Ligotti's great but he didn't go out of his way to talk up thomas Ligotti. and thomas right. Ligotti, if you kind of like go read about him he's a total like shut-in like he doesn't have mm-hmm. much of an online presence but it seems like once people get turned on to him they become hardcore fans of his Right. Um, cause like he's an excellent writer, uh, and like the sh- short, uh, story collection I mentioned is it's a uh, teatro grotesco. Uh, okay. it's just fantastic. Uh, mm-hmm. there's not a bad story in there. Um, he just has this like weird, uh, I guess like the setting would be kind of like this post Kafka kind of like post industrial bureaucratic world that he kind of uses. Like all his mm-hmm. worlds basically look like. Um, Edward Monk paintings, like just like dreary uh, industrial smokestacks everywhere. Uh, people all wearing like dark burlap clothes and just like shuffling around. Everyone's diseased. Like it's just like that's like kind of like the world that when I imagine what his worlds look like, that's what they look like. They're miserable, but they're also like kind of darkly funny. Um, right. And like, there's just like a real cruelty to uh, the way he writes stuff. Like, there's no real like, well, maybe these characters will come through okay. It's like, no, mm-hmm. no, they're not. <laughs> oh, well, that sounds super cool. Like, I've actually heard of this Thomas Legati guy um, on a podcast. Yeah. Uh, and they were referring to him as weird fiction, which uh, I don't know if I've ever mentioned, but I absolutely fucking disdain the term weird fiction or people who self-identify as that because I feel like they're just being really shitty and don't want to say that they're horror writers. Yeah, pretty like, much. I, like, I understand some, like, some, when they describe some writers as weird fiction, like, I think, um, 
Murakami gets described as weird fiction because like I wouldn't describe him as horror, but I would describe it more as like I don't know, like fantasy maybe. Like I, I, I don't, I don't know. But I don't, people who describe yeah. or self-identify as weird fiction, I think, just need to get over it and just say that they're horror writers. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, like that Murakami thing. It's like um, when I was reading like the Wind Up Bird Chronicles. Um, there's like there's passages in that book that play like a horror book would. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, so absolutely. like, and it's like I have uh, I have a couple friends that like they don't like horror. They hate movie horror movies. They hate horror cliche stuff, which right. I understand. I mean, if you don't like it, you don't like it. But they find that they like that Murakami kind of horror stuff because it just like creeps up on you out of nowhere mm-hmm. and it's unexpected, which makes it more horrifying. And there's no like uh, horror trappings for it to feel kind of like safe in. It's just kind of more like, oh, this man's just being skinned alive right now, and they're describing mm-hmm. it all. And it's like, okay, so. It's like that's something like something right out of like a Clive Barker story. Yep. Um, and it's like happening in this like uh award-winning uh Japanese author's book that's widely acclaimed, but no mm-hmm. one ever focuses on those parts. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Uh no, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um like but anyways, I was gonna say while you're talking about short stories, I'll just bring up uh, I think I've mentioned some Stephen King short stuff that I like, like, cause he, he's got I think five or six collections, but the the two real good ones I like are uh, the jaunt which is about like people who invent basically teleportation. Uh, that one's super spooky. A lot of people like that. And then yeah. I can't remember the name, but there's one that I really like where it's it's about an agency that like helps you achieve goals. So like a guy wants to quit smoking. So he goes to them and they're like, okay, well, we guarantee results, sign this waiver or whatever that we can like do the treatment on you and stuff like that. And it's for life. And he's like, all right, sure, whatever. And he'll like, he'll like sign it and then they'll take him into a room and then they'll bring his wife into the next room and they'll just like beat her. <laughs> and then like for like an hour and then they'll be like, don't smoke. If you smoke again, mm-hmm. we're going to do this again. And so like it's about like the guy kind of paranoid the whole time like on whether or not he'll do it or like whether or not like these people are serious or like what they'll do and then like he'll sneak a smoke and then they'll like bring him in and it'll be like his like mentally challenged son in a room and they'll just be like poking him with like pokers and stuff and like shocking him so i can't remember what it's called but that story's super cool too yeah it's not like uh i quit ink or something like that. it's like it's in cat's uh meow or cat's eye the cat's uh, meow yeah, Cat's Meow. Uh, no, yeah, the movie? Cat's Eye. The Stephen, in the, in the, 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 the Stephen yeah. King anthology. Yeah, that's with uh, James Woods. Oh, okay. That's one of the stories. Oh, I didn't in know there. that. I didn't know that that was in that. Yeah. I just thought it was a cool story. I think that's in like Nightmares and Dreamscapes or something. Oh, like okay. The book. Yeah. Um. But anyways, that one is super cool. Hmm. Hmm. Um. Yeah. Another. Uh, Short, short story, but it's uh, The Great God Pen by Arthur Machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, that story is r- pretty neat, and I'm really surprised it actually hasn't been adapted into anything, really. Um, Maybe you can do it. I, I would love to do it. Someone just needs to give me the money and technical prowess to make a film, and uh, we'll, we'll be in business. <laughs> well, call uh, call your buddy J.J. Abrams, and uh, we'll, we'll make this happen. Okay. We'll do. Right. Uh, uh Mm-hmm. Any other two things? Uh, I can just throw out a couple titles real quick. Yeah, just burn uh, some off and then I'll burn some off. Yeah, so uh, there's like, you know, Your House of Lees by Mark Danielewski. That's a, a good old standby these days. Um, yeah. I, I never actually finished that book. Uh, I read probably about half of it. I was enjoying yeah. it. I love the concepts of it. Um, mm-hmm. But there's some, it's, it's an experimental book too at the same time. Sure. 
Uh, there's the cipher by uh, uh, Kathy Koji. Ooh, yeah, yeah, which I yeah. you've been uh, meaning to borrow at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, that book's got a, a superb premise, and it's very much in sort of like that uh, late '80s, early '90s, like gothic splatter sort of style. So, uh, mm-hmm. if you like Neil Gaiman's writing, you'll probably dig this book as well. Um, cool. Cool. and then, yeah, there's that, uh, Chuck Palinchuk book, uh, Haunted, which oh, is the gross book. Yeah. The gross book. That book's got some good passages in it. He's a, mm-hmm. he's a good writer. Uh, I, the, I, I kind of sampled the stories in that, uh, more, mm-hmm. mostly, but I enjoyed that. Um, uh, for a nonfiction, uh, horror book, Ooh. I would, uh, mention the book, The Hot Zone by Richard Preston. Oh. Uh, which the is Ebola book. the Ebola book, as you uh, probably remember me telling you about it uh, yeah. when I was reading it last year. Uh, that book is really awesome just because it explains uh, in great detail what happens when you get Ebola and the, how an outbreak spreads and laying out the biological horror that is the world around us. Mm-hmm. That book is ace. <laughs> Aces. Yeah. Um, and then, Super yeah, cool. for uh, a couple other standbys, I would mention I Am Legend by Richard Matheson. Oh, yeah. That book mm-hmm. is super well written and really great. Uh, I think it's like an undeniable horror classic. Mm-hmm. Um, I could mention how I don't really care for uh, Dracula or Frankenstein. Uh, I'm not you a f- monster. I'm not a fan of the, the, the letter writer books, the, the, the back and forth letter yeah. thing. I, I'm not a fan of that. Well, I, was gonna, I think Dracula, you can you can really drift away from just because it's like that. And then like the shorthand stuff. I think you can really get lost and when you're reading Dracula. I think Frankenstein's way more accessible, but sure. I, I also just I have a bias. I like Frankenstein more than Dracula. So maybe that's what it is. Fair that's fair. Yeah. Um yeah. yeah. Anything you want to name off? Yeah, I got a few that I can burn through here Picks. real quick. Yes. Uh so I mentioned before but Hellbound Heart by Clyde Barker, yeah. Hellraiser. Super good story. People should go read it. It's really short too. It's only it's only like hundred and fifty pages or something, so even you could burn through that in one go. Wow. Um, well, because <laughs> no, I, as you've, you've mentioned, your interest wanes. <laughs> um, the Terror by Dan Simmons is a super fucking good book. Um, it's not like super heavy on the horror aspect, but it's so well written and so, um, like documented. And uh, he does his research on the stuff so well that it's just awesome. I think everyone should read that book because of the amount of work he probably had to do to make it. Is, mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Yeah, I have a two. I actually own two copies of that book because mm-hmm. I bought a paperback of it. Because uh, I, one of my pet projects was doing a lot of research actually on the Franklin expedition. And that was of course before mm-hmm. they had found any of the ships and stuff like that. Uh, cause like, I don't know, I was thinking of doing something with it, but, uh, yeah. So I was like, I didn't want to read the terror because I thought it might influence me. Uh, and right. I didn't want to know anything about it. And then I found a, uh, first edition, uh, at a used store. And so I bought mm-hmm. that just cause I'm like, woo, first edition. And I still have not read either version at, to this point, but, uh, maybe I'll wait and see that AMC television series. That's going to be made someday. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah, that'd be super cool, man. It's really good. Um, there's a lot of cool elements there. Like I said, like I don't think it's like super heavy on the horror itself, but there's a lot of elements that appear. Like there is a few supernatural things to it, but um, I think even more so, it's just people being shitty to each other and like the inevitable cannibalism and things like that, yeah. which is like amazing near the end of the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, The Terror by Dan Simmons, super good. Yeah. Uh, one book that I also really liked, but I actually haven't finished yet, I'm like halfway through, is uh, The Passage by Justin Cronin. Uh, it is kind of, it's it's a weird kind of interesting take on like 
the end of the world meets uh, a vampire epidemic. Um, that's all I'll really say about it. Uh, I thought it was really like, again, really well done. I think he's like a, uh, Oxford English professor or something like that. So he's, I find his, he's very smart and he uses a lot of $10 words and, uh, and such and such. But I, i I understand some people think that book is boring or hard to get into. I don't know. Um, what can keep going? Uh, I don't know. That's all I was going that's all I was going to say about the passage. I okay. liked it. Oh, yeah, it's no. a trilogy. Yeah. What was your next book? Uh, I, I actually, was, I'm surprised you didn't say this, but uh, Uzumaki by uh, Jonji Ito. Okay. Okay. No, see, I was going to say that for a comic one. <laughs> oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll let you do it because you know that material better than I do. Okay. Um, I was going to do this really quick. Yeah. Uh, it's, I don't know if people out there know, but I kind of like Stephen King. So I don't know if I've ever mentioned that, hmm. but I was just going to bang off uh, i keep track of all the books i read and uh, i actually star them because i'm a super freak like rick james so i was just gonna read uh my five star books because um i think all his stuff is good there's a few things that are not very or not as great but uh, i think you could pick up any of them and you'd probably enjoy one part of it but uh I, these are the must reads i think okay uh 11 63 his jfk time travel book it's fucking amazing. Uh, James Franco made a series on it, which was pretty good. But I think the book, it doesn't showcase in the book. He like you get this real dreading sense of like isolation and loneliness, um, which is really like sad and pretty horrific. And I don't think it, it's shown as good in the TV show. So I think that's one case where the book absolutely nails it. Um, Eleven twenty two sixty three. Pet Cemetery, super cool man. I think that's one of the best like concepts he did, which is like one thing that everybody everybody thinks about, where it's just like, what would you do to bring someone back? Super cool. Uh, Salem's Lot, I really like, which I understand a lot, or some people think it's kind of lame, but I don't know. I like the idea of a uh, old like old ass vampires just hanging out in uh, Maine. That's cool. Uh, Dreamcatcher, fucking awesome. Everybody should read that book. It's got poop stuff. Just and don't fart watch stuff. the movie. Yeah, just don't watch the movie. It's got poop and fart stuff. Uh, and then Under the Dome, I really like too, which um, I don't, th- a lot of people, I don't think it's a lot of uh, recognition. Uh, it's one of his newer books, but I, I think it's super good. It's got really good character, um, characterization and uh, good concept. I really like Under the Dome and then and these aren't five stars, but uh, The Running Man and Needful Things, I actually like a lot, too. And okay. The Gunslinger. Cool. So for uh, old Stevie Kings, those are uh, my quick rattles. And then I was going to, if you want to jump in, you can. Uh, I also have uh, some books that I own, but I haven't read yet. Oh, my God, so, dude. I I could. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm I, 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 I put five down. So I was just going <laughs> to run through them really quick. I don't know. Okay. With even less well, time. Well, my my to read pile uh, right now. I just like rip, whip this up, looking at my bookshelf very quickly. Uh, yeah. That would be American Psycho, because uh, yep. apparently it's supposed to be like quite the sick son of a bitch of a book. So I'm really uh, wanting to check that out because I love the movie and uh, I've never actually read the book. We'll see how that goes. Uh, mm-hmm. I've got those books of blood by Clive Barker mentioned before. I really need to right. just read all three or six of those books. Then uh, also going back to Dan Simons, uh, there's his book Carrion Comfort, which I think is like his first like oh, super yeah. big book, his mm-hmm. uh, vampire thing, which that's like on my list that's too. on that's on so many lists for like best like horror books and. 
and I've had a paperback of it for years and I just like, I should just get around to reading. Um, mm-hmm. and also more, more Barker with the damnation game. And actually I also have uh, a copy of the exorcist by old, uh, Blatty, uh, which apparently oh, is a big supposed bill. To, that's supposed to be a really, really good book. That's what I hear. Um, yeah, and then also uh, the one book that I always see kind of pop up on lists is uh, Jack Ketchum's uh, The Girl Next Door. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I've, I haven't actually read any of his books, but I've watched all the movie, uh, all the movies based on his books. And, the movies? Uh, yeah, the movies. And uh, mm. they, I've, I've liked them. They're like, they vary in quality. Um, mm-hmm. They're definitely not for everybody. Like The Girl Next Door, I think, makes like the weirdest double bill with watching something like... Um, tree of life <laughs> oh like because it's like set in the same era but it's mm-hmm. like completely different mindsets about human beings um right. but like i remember like i watched those like fairly close together and i was like whoa like it completely changed my mind about it um but yeah because like, girl next door kind of actually turns it was almost in a true crime uh kind of territory because it talks about like an actual case and just like right. horrible abuse and how people can allow horrible things to happen to somebody right in front of them um just because of group mentality particularly in the 1950s when uh, uh, America was great apparently mm-hmm. and nothing was wrong at all so yeah, yeah. Uh, that book's been on my radar uh, again but uh, yeah mm-hmm. check it out check, right, it out. I, that's, check it out to me and maybe mm-hmm. other people sure. um, yeah so what, any, any, what else what's on your to reads yeah I'll burn through these bad boys real quick here yeah uh, so these, except for one, or except for two, these are all books that I own that I either started and really liked and bought them, or have just heard so much good stuff, I just bought them blindly, and these are like my next up to read. Um, Headful of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay. It's supposed to be really good. I think it's like, I'm not sure, like, because I, I don't like look into this stuff too much. Like, good buzz is enough for me, but I think it's about like a girl who has like schizophrenia or something like that, so it's kind of the voices she hears and thus the head full of ghosts. I could be way off. I don't know. But I think that's what that's about. Mm-hmm. Um, Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy. Uh, I think that's one book I've really wanted to read for a while. I have. I just haven't got to it yet. Yeah. Um, I'm sure people know who Cormac McCarthy is. Yeah. Uh, but R.J., that's a Western. <laughs> yeah, but it's supposed to have some pretty – it's got like scalpings and shit like that, oh, which yeah, sounds super I, cool. I, I have read Blood Meridian and yeah. – uh, yeah, it's. I, I think it's a. You should read it. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, I'm going to. Yeah. Uh, the troop by Nick Cutter is supposed to be really good mm-hmm. about uh, like just uh, Boy Scout troops out in the woods and encounter some grisly stuff. He had a nice little list of uh, horror movie or horror book recommendations too. Uh, that he, he did just sent me. Yeah, uh, and I, I appreciated his list because it was a lot of stuff that. Uh, I hadn't actually heard of where um, an ongoing trend for you and me is sending each other lists of horror books. And I find that a lot, it's rare that there's a book on there that I haven't heard about just because I actively look out this stuff. And then there's always the constants like, uh, like the lottery and uh, what was I saying? Books that I I can't. uh, Yeah. It's it's so funny. Like, I mean, I think it's like great that it's like, yeah, Shirley Jackson, you should definitely read her stuff because she's Mm -hmm. really good. But at the same time, like, yeah, but I mean, if you like look at enough horror lists of books, like you know Shirley Jackson's good, and it's like mm-hmm. it was always funny that she gets brought up. It's like is that like how people get there? Like oh, here's a female writer, and it's just like kind of lazy. Right. They always go to her. It's like well, there's got to be others, right? But yeah, whatever. Well, I think the the reason I bring it up is because like it's on a lot of lists where it's like unknown 
authors and oh, like yeah. unknown. It's yeah, like, underread it's like or any, something. Yeah, it's like anybody who's fucking read any like old horror knows who Shirley Jackson is. Like, I think she's as recognizable as like maybe not Lovecraft, but like no, fucking she's Mary, a, Mary Shelley, like for mm, sure. Yeah, she's up there with Lovecraft. Oh, yeah, no, she's definitely in the uh, the mm. that that echelon of like that Which, those writers. This is a little tangent here, but I just remembered the other two books that pop up a lot. Uh, Bird Box, uh, which is the book I talked about on Criterion Creeps before. Mm-hmm. That gets brought up all the time and by Josh Mallerman, and it's okay. Like I said, the concept is really good, but I really hated his writing. Oh. And then fucking uh, Pen Pal, the, <laughs> the Reddit darling that gets put on so many lists because I think people on Reddit promote it. But yeah. uh, Pen Pal by Dathan Ob back or something like that um oh, i'm not even gonna look it up what about john dies at the end that's, oh, that's, yeah, an, that's that another one, internet darling yeah yeah that one too but uh I, I was just gonna say pen pal i read half of it and it's just sloppy horror fan fiction i don't understand why anybody likes that book it's yeah yeah gross yeah. Uh, but anyways, uh, just a couple more. Broken Monsters by Lauren Books mm-hmm. or Books. That's supposed to be really good. Um, one film that I started, which I actually liked a lot, but I haven't read yet, is called Night Film by uh, Marisha Pessel. Um, and it was a really cool like uh, idea. I think it's it was about like an underground film scene with like snuff films and stuff like that. But she did like some pretty cool things where in the book she. Uh, talked about a lot of different new media things like Twitter and like uh, websites and stuff like that. And then she made all these things so you could like go to them and like do more research, which I guess like people are doing now. But I thought the way she did it was really cool because it was just like to for a more immersive uh, like take into the world. Like if you liked it, you could like go to these other these websites and just kind of explore the world a little bit more. Uh, I thought that was really cool. Um what uh and then there's one that i really uh i really want to read but it's like long out of print and hundreds of dollars to get it's called spindrift spray from a psychic sea by jan bryant bartley um so this book i read on a list a while ago and uh the the idea about this book was it was this lady in like the 60s or something and it was kind of her account of like ghostly paranormal things that were happening to her and she died and then this book is an account of all that that like she wrote um and i don't think it's like it's not i don't think it's like controversial or anything like not anymore but i think it just it had a really limited uh release and i'm not sure if like i've looked if i could get like an elect or like a digital copy just so i could read it but it's really hard to find i don't know maybe you would have better luck finding it because you're kind of like an internet creep but uh, challenge accepted (laughs) uh yeah so spindrift spray from a psychic sea if anyone out there uh has um has ever heard of this book had a copy of this book or knows how to get a copy of this book. Why don't you uh, give me a little call? Hey, I know how ABE books works. So, ah, <laughs> uh, gotcha. Yeah. Um, um, I think that's probably uh, it. Um, well, you know, we're running at it. Like we've been talking for an hour, or so uh, maybe I'll true. save my talk about film reference books for another time. Sure. Because sure. I think we've got we've got movies to discuss. We do. I know you. I don't have a ton, but you have a, oh, you have an I think, enormous amount. I think we'll be okay. So uh, after the break, we delve into horror movies. You okay?
Martin. Martin. I'm 84 years old. Martin. People think I'm crazy when I tell them how old I am. Martin. I'd like to be normal. I just have a sickness. The only way I can survive is by drinking blood. It's not easy living the way I do. I have to be careful all the time. But I'm pretty good at it. I think as I get older, I get better. I haven't been caught yet. Martin, another kind of terror. Understand what's wrong. They think that I'm a monster. They think I'm a vampire. People don't realize that those things I see in the movies are not real. I don't have a whole lot of women. To watch them. I watch them a lot all the time. I have to, to be sure that nothing goes wrong. I follow them. I plan. I'm very careful. I have needles now. I can use them. I can put them to sleep. And it doesn't hurt. <laughs> Another kind of terror. I would like to be like everyone else. I have to do things that I don't necessarily like to do. But I want to stay alive. I do need blood. From the director of Night of the Living Dead. Martyr. Another kind of terror. And we're back. Now, where we left off from last episode, I didn't even get to finish the last few movies on my list. This is true. And I think you didn't either. So, uh, very quickly, uh, there was The Living Skeleton, which is actually Mm -hmm. a Criterion film uh, via their Eclipse series. They had that one, uh, it's like the box set, uh, uh, When Horror Came to Social Mm -hmm. Wall or something like that. Um, Living Skeleton uh, from 1968. It is a spooky movie uh, involving uh, some greedy bastards uh, murder a shipload of people to so they can steal some gold bullion, as you did in the 60s. It's always about gold bullion, be it James Bond movies or Japanese B-horror movies. Um, and they just, like, mow down these people right at the beginning of the movie. It's really nice, really rad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the rest of the thing is kind of like a ghost revenge story, maybe. And there's mad scientists and... Uh, uh, kind of uh, horror store skeletons uh, underwater mm-hmm. kind of hopping around people just getting stabbed to death uh, disfigured priests that have been burnt horribly um, the movie looks really nice um, it just breezes by it's not like the most memorable movie or anything like that but uh, I dug it it's a, it's like perfect movie viewing for like a afternoon or something like that or just like having it kind of going and turning your head and be like wow that's a really nice shot mm-hmm. Um 
Then I also watched uh, Wishmaster from 1997. Ooh. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, yeah. You Tread lightly many... because yeah, I know. This, this, this is coming up very soon for me. Yes. Uh, what I'll say about it for a person who's just about to watch it is that uh, – the main character, uh, the Wishmaster, the Jin, uh, he mm. has a particular acting style that is not unlike the WWE wrestler Triple H, where he kind oh. of talks like this. Uh, he has a particular like <laughs> affectation to the way he speaks, uh, and I couldn't stop noticing it when I was watching the movie, and I just started laughing because Triple H is amusing to me. He his promo abilities mm-hmm. are just like are kind of uh, you know cheap and uh, uh, I don't know tough guy. Uh, it's everything right. everything's funnier if you go uh at the end. <sighs> yeah, and that's what he does. He forces his situations because uh, the only way he can actually do it, the gin, the only way he can do anything to you is if you wish it to happen. And so mm-hmm. he asks you things like, "Would you like me to?" help you out the door <laughs> and you go, well, yeah, uh, sure. As you wish. And then he throws you out of a skyscraper to your death or something like that. That that's amazing. That is the Wishmaster gimmick. Uh, it's tortured. It's amusing. The, uh, it's directed by uh, Robert Kurtzman, who is uh, one of the can be effects guys. So the practical effects in this movie are exquisite. Um, mm-hmm. most of the best parts are at the very beginning of the movie and the climax of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, I remember this movie being like one of those, like, Oh, badass movies from the nineties when I was a kid yeah. being in theater and being like, Oh no, Wishmaster, he's <laughs> going to get me the Wishmaster. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it was like one of those like presented by Wes Craven movies and all that jazz. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, Wishmaster was good. I liked it. Uh, mm-hmm. if you just like watching horror movies, it's a good standby. Um, not perfect, but it's good <laughs> and oh yeah and it's the one thing I'll, my complaint about it will be that there's a lot of cameos like it's like tony todd and like robert england they, they uh, kane, kane hodder they are are all in the movie but they don't really do much at all so that sounds okay to it, me it's weird though I'm like well so i guess they must have just got these people to say be like hey horror fans come and check out Wishmaster." Uh-huh. it's the ultimate statement in horror like back when you could actually get away with doing that mm-hmm. sort of stuff because people were naive enough to like expect more yeah. um well but, i think it sounds amazing yeah i think you'll dig it um mm-hmm. I, we followed that up uh cory and i we were watching this stuff last sunday and we watched the guyver uh Ooh, co- yeah. co-directed by my boy screaming mad george uh mm-hmm. Yeah, starring Mark Hamill, not as the Giver, which is what the uh, all the marketing would lead you to believe. Uh, right. But this movie is just a piece of shit. Uh, oh. It's like uh, it's like post Ninja Turtles kind of thing, where they mm. decided to take this um, Japanese anime manga product, The Giver, and turn it into an American family movie. But then they get Screaming Mad George to direct it. So, like, on a, the practical effects are okay. Like, the, there's, like, rubber suits. So, I mean, this movie more resembles, like, a Power Rangers type deal than anything right. else. Um, but the writing and, like, comedic direction that this thing goes in are just, like, eye-rollingly bad. It's, it's terrible. Um, mm-hmm. But then it's, like, well, it's also, like, having, like, like borderline, like, fart jokes and, like, uh, weird moments where, like... Um, I don't know, like almost Arts. like r- record record skips almost are on the record on the score, like we're mm. yeah, it's it's bad. But then there's like oh, and then they find this like brutally murdered woman in an apartment in this kid's movie, and it's just like what the fuck? 
Mm-hmm. What? Who is this movie for? I, I still can't figure that one out. It stinks. Okay. Uh, I was really let down by it. And it's, it's the only movie that Screaming Mad George actually co-directed. Apparently, The Giver 2, the sequel to this, uh, is a lot better and more in tone with the uh, the anime, which is violent and gnarly and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I topped Just off... Just like you. Just like me. And I topped off that uh, day's viewing with uh, the Australian film Body Melt from 1993. Ooh, yeah. Um, it's kind of an odd little low-budget affair um, involving a evil like pharmaceutical kind of company making a um, fitness uh, supplement um, for people Mm -hmm. to get fit and of course it also it melts you and it causes you to like explode Um, I don't know what the long term idea behind the marketing of this sort of product would be for the company except for evil Um, evil so you guys see it's, it's almost like an anthology movie because you like the short stories are all set in this neighborhood, which is like the test area for this substance, and mm-hmm. you just get like little vignettes with each of these like people who are like injecting themselves and in, in taking this stuff into their body, and the inevitable like thing of their bodies melting or exploding or what have you. Sounds super um, cool. There's it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's like a bit where like uh, these two guys go out to a um, kind of like a campground where this like inbred family lives and there's some weird sexual tensions and sexual antics that go on out in the middle of nowhere. I, I don't know. I was watching this fairly late at night. So maybe some of the finer details uh, are missing me now. And it's also been a while since I watched it a whole 10 days or something like that. Not even. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it was like fine. It's, there's like this like weird subgenre of like melt movies, like stuff like Mm -hmm. street trash, incredible melting man, body melt. Uh, There's one called slime city that I'm looking forward to watching soon. Um, And it just fits into that fairly comfortably. Um, I still think street trash is pretty hard to beat as far as this uh, kind of weird thing that in the eighties that was going on go. But um, yeah, yeah, that was body melt, (laughs) body melt. Don't not to be confused with tuna melt. That's right. (laughs) Classic. Uh, So what did you uh, not finish talking about last time? Uh, Just a couple, actually. Um, You had more than me, but um, the one, uh, the farthest back, I guess. um, Oh, is a a newer movie from last year called The Final Girls by uh, director Todd Strauss-Scholson. Uh, so this movie is about a girl, like a young girl and her mom, and the mom was a scream queen and, uh, her big famous movie was basically Friday the 13th, uh, just not Friday the 13th because they didn't have the rights to that, but essentially that. And, uh, what happens is you see it opens and you see that they're best friends and then the mom dies unexpectedly. And the girl is mourning her, and then the young girl gets invited to a screening of the mom's most famous movie, the Friday the Thirteenth movie. Knock off, yep, yep. And uh, she goes to it, uh, and then through basically a series of things happening at the same time, like in the movie, a guy takes a drink, and then in the theater, a guy takes a drink, and then like things happening in the movie in the theater at the same time, her and a group of friends get tele or like transported into the movie uh so and and then it's basically her and a couple of like friends trying to survive the jason type killer and she's also 
dealing with seeing her mother who was dead, but she's alive again because they're in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was a really cool premise. I like the idea. The movie itself is uh, pretty good. Um, it's not like great, uh, but it's not bad either. It's a comedy more than anything. Like there's not really like any horror. It's all very tongue in cheek. Um, I don't know. There's not really a ton to say. Like uh, some of the jokes are pretty good. A lot of the jokes miss, I think. Mm-hmm. That's how um, comedies kind of go, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think the the concept kind of carries the movie, but uh, there's not really anything that stands out like super. I wouldn't tell anyone to watch it unless they were looking for <laughs> one of those magazine movies, like something something easy to watch. Or if, uh, if you're with like some other people who uh, just want something light, uh, that's what, that's why I watched it. I watched it with Andrea and she was like, uh, she's like, yeah, just throw whatever on. So I kind of put this on cause I was like, I think this might be the, uh, the one that she might actually like because it's new, it's edited well, it's a comedy and, uh, she actually uh, thought it was okay. So that was the first one I watched, uh, from way long back, the final girls and it was okay. Uh, and then I watched a short called Vadoom from last year. And this was from a pro uh, prolific letterboxed user, apparently. I saw it pop up and I watched it and he made it. Um, I, I don't really know why I'm mentioning it because like it was okay. It wasn't very good. It was about a haunted mask. And uh, it's very, very low budget, low quality. Um, okay. Yeah, nobody nobody go watch Vadoom. Mm-hmm. But... After that, I watched uh, a sweet banger from 1983, director Douglas McEwen, uh, called The Deadly Spawn. And uh, I thought this movie was super fucking rad. Mm. It's about, uh, mm-hmm. Because it has one of my favorite, it's a favorite genre, a subgenre of a favorite genre, and that is Aliens, folks, I believe. I yeah, think you yeah, could call yeah, them. They're, they're totally aliens. They, they're, they, they yeah. come from not Earth. Yeah, so a meteor lands, and then uh, some wormy, teeth, spiky teethed worms ca- crawl out of the meteor, eat some people, and then they take residence in a house um, that's filled with all sorts of people who I couldn't actually, because it starts and you see an old man and lady get eaten in the basement, and I was like, oh, well, there goes the parents, but then there's other old men and lady, and I was like, who are these people? Mm-hmm. I was like, are they house guests? And I was like, all right, well, whatever. Yeah, the movie um, restarts. <laughs> yeah, it restarts basically. Um, and then it's basically about uh, the main character is this uh, little kid who's super into horror. Uh, you see, you're introduced to him watching like a slasher at like really early in the morning. He's got all sorts of props and movie posters, and he even tries to um, create his own props and uh, effects, which is super cool. It was like an 80s thing. It was basically like Corey Feldman in uh, Friday the 13th Part 4. Uh, basically the same character. Um, and so the kid discovers the worms are in the basement and the movie's basically him trying to fight them off where, uh, and other, the other people in the house trying to survive as the giant worms start to take over. Yes. Uh, I thought this movie was really good. It's got, uh, some pretty cool effects. The worm monster looks great. Um, there are, there's a scene where a lady's face gets bitten off and all her skin comes off. And that is super cool. Um, there's not much to say. Like, I really liked it. I thought it was, uh, really cool. 
Um, I think the ending is awesome as well. I won't spoil that for people, but uh, if you're looking for like a Legion-esque worm movie, then uh, there's a lot there's a lot worse you could do. Deadly Spawn was pretty cool. Yeah, um, but Deadly Spawn is a movie. Uh, a few years ago, I tried watching the first time, and I just wasn't feeling it. Like it just, I yeah. did, I was not in the mood at all to watch it, which I think is a very important thing with Deadly Spawn is you have to kind of be in the right mindset to watch. Like because this movie is super low budget, but oh yeah, it looks pr- it looks actually pretty good considering it's super low mm-hmm. budget, but it definitely doesn't have like a professional sheen. Um, so it can be a little be like, oh, this is not worth my time. But I think there's like a point where you get you, you get over the hump with this movie because when mm-hmm. I. I, re- I re- went back to it just to give it another shot because I bought it and I was like, well, people really love this movie. Uh, when I was in Toronto uh, a year ago, there was this guy walking around who had this like full on Deadly Spawn t-shirt and he had a goddamn mm-hmm. Deadly Spawn tattoo on his arm. And I was like, Whoa. what the hell? That's <laughs> um, a little drastic. Well, maybe. I, think, I, I don't know. I don't know what he was doing there. He seemed to be like friends with like some Mondo people from like uh mm-hmm. texas or something like that and like he seemed to be like really into this stuff and i was like oh deadly spawn eh so that was one of the motivators for me to watch give this movie a try again and watching mm-hmm. it the second time i was like whoa this movie's really cool um mm-hmm. i think like the one my biggest memory of it is like they kill like the one girl in it that's like really awesome and i remember being like really sad by that i was like oh fuck no one's it's, safe no one's it's safe su- <laughs> it's super rad too because they fucking bite her head off and then throw her body out of the top story window yeah. and like you don't expect yeah. it at she, all and you just see her body smash yeah. on the ground she's just fucking dead in this movie and i was like oh my god i i, I feel really kind of shitty for her which is like that's something mm-hmm. to like actually kind of feel something for like uh a character in in like a B eighties horror movie, right? Like, yeah, you, exactly. You, you don't get those emotions. So, I mean, there's something to this movie. Um, the practical effects are really charming and they put a lot of work mm-hmm. into it. There's like the weird, like kind of i I'm not sure what aspects of it, but there's like the, the Hildebrandt brothers. Um, they're like okay. these like fantasy painters that have been around forever and ever. And they were involved in this movie to, to a certain degree when they were young. Right. Uh, they did some like uh, matte paintings and stuff like that. And some part of the designs, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, deadly spawn is, yeah, I definitely uh, share uh, some, love for that movie too mm-hmm. uh and then uh the last one i watched that day uh of the old movies i didn't get to talk about yeah was uh your boy brian yuzna's 1989 classic society uh and oh, yeah. i thought this movie was super fucking good um how do you describe this movie uh, you get a bunch of rich upper class people and you have a one of the sons. He's kind of like a misfit and he sees like he starts to witness all this weird shit going on with his parents and his, his older sister. sister. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's like, what the fuck is going on? It's all really grimy and incestuous. And you're, you you understand that you you discover that it's not just him. It's the other upper class people as well. Yeah. And so. Uh, it's this big conspiracy and then something happens in the end and it is amazing and it's <laughs> awesome. And I don't even know if I should talk about it. Um, I think, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to say. At this point, it's like, I don't know. At what point do you draw the line with old movies, I guess? Uh, well, one thing we'll mention is that uh, the, the conclusion of this film was orchestrated by Screaming Mad George, my, uh, yeah, my, right? my good friend. Um, and it's probably some of his best work. 
Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's all about shunting <laughs> and strange yeah. distortions and physical manifestations. And mm-hmm. I don't know. If, if you look up anything about this movie in Google image search, it's all kind of there at this point. So I, I guess go for it, man. Talk about it. Um, well, you discover that, uh, all the upper class people are like some sort of mutants and their bodies are all like stretchy and gelatinous blobs. And they, what they do is they bring in poor people <laughs> and absorb them into their bodies. And then it's in like this huge grotesque orgy of flesh and the shunting. Oh my God, the shunting. Yeah. The shunting, uh, one scene, which is an all time banger is uh, a dude who has a butt for a face. Uh, <laughs> that is amazing. It's probably the coolest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, that's, that is art. That is like when I thought about this movie, I was like, I don't know how RG is going to feel about this movie, but I'm pretty sure that will win him over. Yeah, the butt face was awesome. I love butts. And there's like uh, jokes it about it. Cool. Yeah, they call him butthead. Yeah, all, I guess you call me a bit of a butthead. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was yeah. amazing. Uh, and then one dude <laughs> gets uh, turned inside out through his dick, which is just fucking unbelievable. It's yeah. a amazing scene. So, uh, no, I thought this movie was great. Uh, super cool. I um. I do think it's it's a slow burn and it kind of all builds up to that one the giant orgy shunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think even if you get if you're bored in the the first two thirds, I think that yeah. the last bit really makes up for it. Yeah, I think like I mean that's like one of the things that I probably would hold against the movie is that there's like that whole I don't know first two thirds of the movie like the build up to it. It's mm-hmm. kind of not. It's pretty clunky. Uh, it plays like kind of a eighties high school comedy stuff, which I'm not a fan of in the first place. Um, it's like a, just a genre that totally missed me by. And the movie kind of is set in that intentionally, but at the same time, I don't enjoy yep. that stuff either, but there's like the good spooky bits when it starts like ramping up and you start like wondering, like there's the bit where he's like at the party and there's like the hot girl and there's like mm-hmm. her, like twisted, her body's been twisted over and stuff like that. Like yeah. weird little moments like that, that are in this, that are mm-hmm. pretty good. And like the things that he sees he thinks he saw his sister in the shower and she looked like wrong she's got front butt yeah and yeah. um yeah so no, there's, like, there's something like, all that stuff is there to keep you going and it's like at some point you're like well i obviously it's not just in his mind because this wouldn't be much of a movie worth talking about if yeah. it weren't for it but oh you know what also why we can just talk about this movie openly is because like the goddamn like arrow packaging on this blu-ray just like shows like monstrous flesh monster right on it yeah. so it's like well i think everyone knows what this is at this point Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, that goes back to like that, uh, uh, thing from like a few, uh, weeks ago, we were talking about like horror fans complaining about how the cover of that black Christmas, uh, special mm-hmm. edition from scream factory spoils the ending of Billy or whatever. It's like, well, not yeah. really, like, not really at all, but, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just like iconic moments that people, I'm like people would have, would have seen and like got through other cultural osmosis where it's like, mm-hmm. even if you haven't seen this, you've seen it like mimic or gifts. In, yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, whatever. But yeah, uh, no, so, society, uh, super cool. Uh, I love those butts. Butts. That's how you win, uh, yeah. the heart and minds of RJ. Absolutely. Yes. So. Um, well, I will, uh, I think I'll just talk about, uh, maybe not in chronological order what I've been watching, but maybe some connections and themes between what I've been watching. Um, after watching uh, She Killed in Ecstasy uh, mm-hmm. last time, I've managed to hit upon some more uh, Jess Franco movies, who I'm very quickly like really falling in love with. Uh, his movies anyway, mm-hmm. not so much with the man. Um, but uh, so I watched a couple of his flicks. Um, his movies vary wildly. 
Um, so mm-hmm. I watched one called The Curse of Frankenstein, a.k.a. Rights of Frankenstein, a.k.a. Erotic Rights of Frankenstein from 1973. Ooh. I like that um, last one. Yes. Uh, so this movie is very classic franco and it's like bargain basement cheap stuff like the frankenstein in this is like he's been spray painted silver and he is very clearly a man just wearing prosthetics like in a way that you've never seen in a movie or, or outside of like franco movies where it's like yep there that's the latex like you can clearly see it they're not even trying to conceal it mm-hmm. uh so they don't care so maybe i shouldn't care but i do um, the movie is about Frankenstein with his Igor, uh, who's played by Jess Franco. Uh, they get raided on by another uh, evil European uh, named Cogliostro uh, and his bird woman. He has a mutant bird woman uh, that is like his like heavy. Uh, she shows up. They kill uh, Frankenstein and Igor, and they take the monster because mm-hmm. they, their whole scheme is that they're going to take Frankenstein and find another uh, ultimate woman and then start breeding super undead mutant people. Uh, right. And now this all sounds like, whoa, this sounds amazing. But this movie, like, it doesn't really live up at all to this. It seems to be more about uh, scenes of having Frankenstein whip uh, men and women who are dressed naked, uh, who are like standing in a pit of spikes and keeps whipping mm-hmm. them and whipping them till one of them falls over on top of the other one and drives that person through spikes. And these scenes go on for like five minutes. Um, so it's like, I don't know. It seems like they could have like, when you have a mutant bird woman, I don't know how necessary it is to have to make sure you have Frankenstein to go grab people. Cause he's big and strong. It's like, I think your bird woman's like pretty efficient so far at like grabbing people and like giving like sonic bird screams and, uh, vampire drinking blood and stuff like that. Right. Uh, this is a real mishmash of a movie. Um, mm-hmm. The highlight of it for me was I was uh, watching this and uh, Chanel was kind of like coming th- uh, back and forth through from uh, uh, our bedroom to the kitchen and she kind of like started paying attention to the movie and eventually she just like got herself some celery and like sat down and started watching this movie and like really like getting into the camera work of his movies which um i guess you would say are horrible uh because he he, Mm. it's it is it is it's horrible camera work but it's so consistent in his movies that it's intentional and so you start wondering like what's up with that and like why he doesn't care um and this is like these are all the things about these attributes about jess franco that i'm still trying to figure out um like why he operated the way he did i mean i mean obviously he made he directed what 180 movies in his lifetime and he was making like six or seven eight movies a year uh by this point so he was just like he had to make them and he had no money to do it and he was just knocking this stuff out because he could get into a theater and keep making movies and working Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like, so she got, Chanel really got into like this, like weird zoom ins on stuff. And like, you can see like, we're almost like where like, there's like, they kind of slipped on the adjusting. So it's not even smooth, like zoom uh, ins, right. it's clunky zooms and like really bad, like panning the camera on a tripod and it's like jetty. And like, it becomes like, you're really aware that the camera is like shifting and moving along. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's just something about his movies, though, that I find really appealing that I don't expect anyone else to like at all. Um, but then I watched uh, White Cannibal Queen, a.k.a. Cannibals from 1980 from Mr. Franco. Ooh, yeah. um, and it seems like after a certain period of time with Franco, I stopped really liking his movies. This movie, I think, actually sounds like everyone kind of doesn't like at all, despite its mm-hmm. uh, interesting title. Um, it's like kind of it's just knockoff like cannibal holocaust material where a uh, man with his wife and daughter are on the amazon or something and um 
cannibals show up, they eat the wife alive, and he escapes, but after he lost an arm that he saw get eaten by these cannibals, his daughter kind of like managed to get away, but then is found on the river. And now she's revered as a white goddess by the cannibals. And Just so, like me. Yep. And uh, we've all had that happen in our day. Yeah, yeah. He goes back to New York and uh, some rich corporate people uh, are amused by this whole like horrific ordeal that's happened and they hire him to go back there to find these cannibals Um, Mm -hmm. but of course he thinks his daughter's dead uh, or he doesn't know she's dead so he wants to go back and try to find her one way or another Um, and of course like it seems like a decade of time passes and Mm -hmm. she's now like a grown woman and just so she can be topless and walking around Um, the movie takes forever to get back to cannibal land. Um, and then they do. And, you know, people just kind of die hap- boringly, <laughs> haphazardly. And none of it really matters. This movie kind of sucks. Um, right. There's like these like slow motion cannibals eating people scenes that go on forever. Where it's just close-ups of people eating like bloody animal organs like up close but they're mm-hmm. supposed to be humans and there's and it's, yeah. and it's in slow motion and it just goes on and on and on it like never goes beyond that um it's it's cheap mm. there's nothing to recommend about that one uh um, my third franco uh of this week will be uh vampiros lesbos which oh, i you uh, creep which i believe yes i saw your comment of me being a prevert mm-hmm. um so mm-hmm. Vampiros Lesbos, it lives up to its name, unlike cannibals, really. Um, right. There is, there is a, a vampire woman. It's it, Essentially, the movie is an updating of the Bram Stoker Dracula story, uh, which okay. I didn't even click into until I was watching like one of the special features. It's like, oh, yeah, the like the protagonist of the movie, she's a real estate agent, and she's like come to see this uh, like countess um, who is a vampire, but she's like lounging around in the sun, being sexy in a bathing suit, and there's like the, yeah, the sexual tension there between these two ladies mm-hmm. and the, su- the seduction but it's a very simplified version of the Dracula story um, okay. and like because the protagonist gets to do the Jonathan Harker story then she also gets to do the um, Renfield story where she's in an insane asylum um, mm-hmm. all those little plot beats uh, this movie's gotcha. got a rad soundtrack uh, one bit of it is actually reused in uh, Jackie Brown uh, which mm-hmm. I was like, well, when it came up, I was like, what the hell? But it's actually actually got a weird like callback to Interview with the Vampire mm-hmm. because uh, there's the bit where in Interview with the Vampire, there's the um, the stage play where they're doing these, uh, the, the vampire acting troupe, they're doing these right, performances yeah. in front of people and they're like just like killing these women in front of the, the people and they don't know it. Well, that mm-hmm. happened in Vampiro's Lesbos first. <laughs> oh, um, so you're saying that they stole it. I think they did. I think everyone mm-hmm. loves this movie secretly. Um, it's just okay, though. Right. Um, I don't know. I I feel like all the a lot of just just Franco movies that I've watched now. I some of them I feel like I have to rewatch because I, I wonder how interesting they are now that I've watched more and more of his stuff. It's like kind of getting <laughs> it's like getting like inoculation shots, I guess. Uh, maybe I'm building up a resistance to some of his stuff and like just getting used to it. But I don't know. I'm kind of getting because like there's like if you look online, there's a lot of people who like really are into him. And I remember like 10 years ago as a horror person, if I would have seen these movies, I would have been like, fuck this. This is crap. And like I would have written it off. But now as I learn more and more about him, I uh, I'm becoming more and more interested. I've watched 13 movies of his now. And I, I now have a watch list of about another 26. 
Dang. <laughs> so yeah, like I don't know. There's tons of his stuff out there of varying quality, but I'm I'm game to keep on checking it out. Mm. Well, I look forward to future updates on the uh, James Franco the, the Franco uh, list. Uh, yeah, the Franco creep. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. couple other things I'll mention now is I mm-hmm. also watched a uh, the Arrow's Blu-ray of Bloodbath from 1966, which is just <laughs> a crazy collection. So what it is from what I can tell off the top of my head is it's a movie that started as like a Eastern European film called like Operation Titian. And this movie was, it was a movie on its own. And then it got repurposed a second time, given a new name and edited down. And then uh, Roger Corman came along. He bought the rights to this movie and then like sourced parts of the movie into something else, into this like vampire horror movie. And it has Mm -hmm. like two different directors who were involved with it. And then it got uh, repurposed for a fourth time into another movie called like The Trail of the Vampire or something like that. So this Blu-ray set though, it contains all four versions of this like thing. Oh, weird. Um, it has a, there's the one, uh, uh, was he, uh, Tim Lucas. Uh, he's a, uh, renowned like, uh, film critic. Uh, he, mm-hmm. he, 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 like in his early, uh, I think it's, I want to call it video hound, but I don't think that's right. Uh, it'll come to me. He, his, uh, uh movie, uh, zine publication that he does in the early issues of it he actually covered this weird thing because he started watching these movies with their different titles and realizing hey wait a minute I recognize these scenes and like they're just like repurposed and so he figured out the whole history of this stuff back okay. when people like uh, so this would have been like late 80s early 90s figuring this stuff out um, so he actually got to do a video essay narrating his old um, writings on it and like re-updating it with images on the Blu-ray which is really cool mm-hmm. um, but yeah so Bloodbath itself it's uh, it's a charming little story. Uh, it's got Sid Haig in it, uh, amongst some others, cool. playing art hipsters. Uh, it's sort of like a play again on uh, Bucket of Blood, uh, Roger Corman's other uh, art horror movie, like actual mm-hmm. like movie about artists and horror. Um, this is a movie about a evil painter vampire man who uh, gets young women to pose for him. He paints them being like stabbed and murdered to death. And he's, he's actually a vampire draining the blood of these women. And then he then takes their bodies and then casts them in uh, wax to keep mm-hmm. the bodies hidden. Um, it's kind of overkill as far as like plot stuff goes. It's like, well, can't he just do one of those things rather than like all three of those things? Yeah. Um, and then the movie just kind of goes on. It's about women just being stalked by this guy and like being brought up to this, his artist bourgeois and like being, painted and then they get killed okay uh and then there's the artist hipster dudes that are like uh making their shitty paintings and they kind of like one of their friends is targeted and they get caught up into it uh stuff ensues uh it's a fine movie i enjoyed it uh perfect october viewing that's my way of hmm. saying three stars i guess cool um yeah, yeah. Sounds all right. yeah it sounds it's good uh yeah. another one i will mention uh is i bury the living which is a um, Albert Band directed movie. Who's the father of Charles Band? Who's responsible mm-hmm. for Full Moon and all those uh, Puppet Master movies and like kind oh. of and all that sh- all that sort of schlock. So his dad yeah. his dad was making movies. He made this particular movie, I Buried the Living, um, which stars uh, actor Richard Boone, who uh, I'm a big fan of. Uh, you might remember him from the Western film Hombre that you borrowed uh, oh, a little while yeah. ago. He's the kind of, yep. the, he's like the menacing villain kind of guy in it, but he's like all smiles and sunshine when he's gotcha. threatening you. So he's the main character in this. Uh, he's a guy who's, um, 
he's now working in a cemetery because oh, how does it go? His um he's like on like city council. Like he doesn't need this as his job, but like there's some reason why he they need to like have different people working at it to show that they're like not above it. It's something like something convoluted like that. So he's like working out a cemetery and there's like a map on the wall of like the like the cemeteries like um the caretaker's house and it has a layout of where all the graves are. And there's like black pins for graves that are taken. And there's white pins for like invested, um, uh, farts, farts for uh, invested plots. And so they, they can keep track and know where the locations are. But what happens mm-hmm. is, is it seems like when pins get put into this, uh, the people who put them or whose name are associated with them, they're winding up dead. And so it's like it actually plays more like a thriller. Um, at yeah. no point does Richard Boone bury the living. Um, uh, yeah, bunch of bullshit. But it's more about him. Like it's more like this like guilt ridden man. Like every time he, he's, anything he does, it seems like he's causing these people to die. And people are like, "Well, no, that's crazy." But then he, he tests it out, and then they die. And it's mm. sort of like this lingering thing. It's got some really cool visuals because it's like super stripped down movie at the end of the day. But um, yeah, I thought that movie was very enjoyable. It's like mm-hmm. it, it breezes by. It's only like an hour, 20 minutes. Uh, but I like that one a lot. Um, I'm hoping that a Blu-ray of that comes out um, sooner than later. Right. Uh, and then I watched a sh- an hour-long uh, animated film called Ooh. The Pied Piper from 1986. And um, I don't know. Did not- it have pie in it? Uh, well, it's called like Chrysar. That, that's its actual uh title from the country it's from mm-hmm. um but yeah it's just a pied piper story stop motion animation but it's like uh again eastern european style so it's like very like nasty dark and grim oh sweet <laughs> as uh because uh, it's uh jura barta is the director and like a lot of his stuff is very much in line with that it's like the, okay. the, those young schwankmeyer films which those young schwankmeyer films did yeah. you just make that up no you've not heard of young schwankmeyer Nah, it sounds made up. Oh my goodness. I'll have to send you some short videos. His stuff's okay. really nice. You've probably seen GIFs of it um, around. Uh, he has this live at his, because uh, Jan Schwenkmeier, uh, I'll be watching one of his uh, live action feature films, Alice, which is his adaptation of Alice in Wonderland. Oh, I see. Yeah. I see um, what you're saying. But yeah, uh, I thought it was fine. It's like, the first half is pretty redundant because it's all it's the Pied Piper story, a bunch of about a bunch of people, mm-hmm. and then they get rats, and then uh, this man in a cloak shows up, and he'll like, well, for the money, I will come and take care of that for you, mm-hmm. and then um, he does it, but then the people decides to decide to welch on their uh, agreement and say, we're not paying right. you shit, ha ha ha, but then he decides, well, all right. And so it's like, he doesn't lure children away and take them away from the town, mm-hmm. but he decides, he just turns all the people into rats through magic. And then he lures them to their own demise. The end. Oh, that sounds cool. Yeah. It's got a good atmosphere. Uh, the designs are not too bad. I find them a little repetitive, um, mm-hmm. but uh, maybe I've been too treated by, um, Oh, what's it called? Stuff like uh, Paranorman, those guys, the Project Leica people who make oh, light, right, yeah. lighthearted stop motion stuff, which and the, with lots of intricate designs. Um, yeah. This is like, I mean, obviously this is a lot earlier and like different scale, but um, I found that like some of the designs did get a little bit repetitive, but this movie had some pretty good spooky imagery with that Pied Piper dude. He's kind of scary. Spook City. Spook City. Um, right but on. yeah, I'll let you uh, continue on here. I've been talking a little bit. Okay. Uh, 
So, uh, the next two movies I watched, I'll talk about together, as they are uh, a first movie and a sequel. Yeah. Yep. It took me a second to say that, but I did it and I got it out. Uh, from 2007 to 2009, the Spanish hit movies, uh, Wreck and Wreck 2. Um, so, I've thought about how I want to talk about these movies. I watched them both back to back. Uh, and I realized that I had seen the American remake quarantine when that came out in theaters, uh, not too long after this one actually came out, but I had never seen the original. So I'm going to say, I'll just preface this whole thing up front with saying that I think these movies have a super cool premise. I really like the concept and like the story, but I hate that they're found footage. And I know that is the, like the whole gimmick to it or like the entire like the whole draw to it but i don't like it and i think it's really shows in the second movie which has a lot of really cool ideas and a lot of things i actually really like but um they really cash in on the found footage tropes and it drove me crazy so if anyone out there is not familiar um rec rec one starts and uh, you get a news reporting team uh who is uh, watch or at a fire station and they're kind of doing like the night shift, uh, what it's like to be a fireman in the night shift. They get a distress call at an apartment and then the news team goes with them uh, and they find a kind of a lady and stuff like that. And she attacks one of the, um, the officers on scene. And then when they try to evacuate him, they find that the, the entire building has been quarantined. They don't know why. And then uh, basically it's like, it's kind of like zombies. Um, each of the tenants slowly get infected, and then it's basically kind of a game of cat and mouse within the apartment um, of the people who aren't infected and people who are infected. Uh, so that's Rec 1. Rec 2 uh, jumps in right after, immediately after Rec 1 finishes, and it's about a SWAT team that gets dispatched into the apartment, and they're accompanied by. Um, a guy who has kind of an, an ulterior agenda um, who works for somebody. I'm not sure what to say. Like, I don't I don't know if I should get into spoilers for Rec 2 because Rec 1 sets up all this stuff. And then or Rec 1, I think, is this really great, like isolated kind of horror story about like survival within an apartment. And then Rec 2 kind of builds on the world and gives you like some more depth into what basically it all was and stuff like that um so i don't know if i should talk about it or not because i don't know if it's like a spoiler or a surprise or i don't think anyone cares it's rec two okay okay so uh rec two builds off the first one what you find out the viruses is actually uh, a demonic possession and uh, the vatican was working on ways of isolating like chemical chemically uh what the qualities of the like demonic possession are and they were testing on like children and stuff like that so the virus is demons um which i actually thought was pretty cool i really like that idea and they do some cool things in the movie where um like some of the demons are only visible or they only come out like in dark because they can't go into the light so when things go dark that's when the demons come out i thought that was really cool but uh 
so like I said, these two movies, I, I, I actually really like the idea, but uh, the found footage kills me. And especially in the second one, because the second one's all the SWAT team and they all have cameras on their helmets and it like shifts between them and stuff like that. And uh, I just thought it was la- like it's lazy. It's like an easy way to like get out of actually filming stuff where like when you have, say, like an action scene, uh, the camera just gets shaky and falls to the ground and then you just hear it happen. So it's like, oh well, we don't have to film this. That's fine. Yeah. Um. So I, I didn't. I that stuff really lost me. But I think the ideas are cool, and I like that. It's just found footage stinks. Yeah. Um. When oh, I think I messaged you about this after you finished watching, I think the first wreck. Um. Mm-hmm. The, the thing I really like. I mean, I thought wreck was okay, but the thing that really killed that movie for me was the bit where characters decide to stop and re- rewind, rewind their footage mm-hmm. and I'm like and then we get to watch it and mm-hmm. we get to watch footage get rewound and it's like this is like this doesn't make any sense it's like this isn't found footage and now things are rewinding and it's, yeah. it, it breaks the conceit and to me mm-hmm. it's like okay this is now it's like they think they're being clever but it's just insultingly dumb and yeah. it's like the worst of found footage that one scene so that really took it out of uh took that for me out of yep thing yeah it took you out of it took me out of it and it yep. sucked and I, I i will always remember that being like the worst example of why mm-hmm. found footage if if not uh, properly thought out uh falls mm-hmm. apart um, yeah, so yeah. I, I think I think these two movies are perfect examples of like what you said. Uh, I think they're really cool movies, but uh, they would be way, way better if it wasn't found footage. Yeah. So it's too bad. It's too bad. And, and there's another thing, actually, like, so I, I guess I'm the American remake guy, but I think the ending in that one is better because the ending in Rec 1, uh, the char- like the ghoulie character that comes out in the dark, I, it, it's, it looks weird. Like, it looks like it's CGI or something. And so it's kind of, like, off-putting. And then in the American one, I think it's practical effects. I could be wrong because I saw that when it came out, which is, like, maybe eight years ago, eight or nine years ago. So I don't know. But I, I remember the ghoulie monster in the American one looking way better. Anyways. Anyways. Uh, as a side yeah. note, have you ever watched any of the Grave Encounters movies? Nope. Okay. Are those uh all equally um no. tasty? Well, I don't know. They're fine. Um you don't even really have to watch the first one because it essentially gets repurposed in Grave Encounters two. Mm-hmm. Um, I think someone from Le- or like from our hometown had a uh, little role in those movies, in one of those. Hmm. I don't know. The guy who did uh, that movie, like, Alone in the Dark or something, like a Guillermo del Toro Presents, it had Katie Holmes in it. He was, uh, he's from our hometown, which... Troy, Troy Nixie? I think so. Yeah, Troy Nixie, I don't know if he had anything, yeah. I don't know if he had anything to do with Creep Encounters too, but yes, I know of Troy Nixie being well, a, a Creepsville uh, resident at one point. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe I make stuff up. Maybe but, you do. Okay. Maybe uh, you do. And then I'll just finish. Uh, I watched another short, which is uh, the second of four, because uh, I'm all about shorts this week, as I was low on time. Uh, it was from last year, from uh, someone called Chris Straub, and it was called Local 58 Weather Service. And uh, I actually thought it was really cool. It's really, it's like three minutes, and it's just basically like an emergency broadcast. Yeah. Um, there's not really much to say about it. I thought it was a cool idea. I think it works effectively as a short. Um, they'll probably turn it into a movie. Probably not. I think there's like eight people who have watched it, but, uh, I don't know. It was a, it was kind of, it was a nice little short. Like it helped, uh, 
me squeeze in a, a movie as I couldn't that night as I had to creep um I had to stick to creep commitments. Mm. But uh, yeah. I'll uh, I guess I'll throw it back to you now. Okay. Um so for some other oldies that I watched, um uh, I watched The Mask of Fu Manchu, a little pre-code Ooh. horror from 1932. Um it comes out of there's a it's a Warner Brothers put out a set called Legends of Horror. And it's actually out of print now and then they've re-released it as a DVD-R. So I'm glad I got it when I did for like super cheap. Uh but it had one of the films on there that I finally got around to watching uh involving Boris Karloff playing a Chinaman Ooh, yeah. in grotesque uh, yellow face just just oh, no. just just the worst um but this movie is just like unrepentantly racist uh it's like only like the 1930s could be um mm-hmm. it really replicates kind of uh pulp uh fiction like from that period of time well um and yeah like i don't know if there's like if there's really any good people in this movie because uh, basically the good guy is this guy named Nyland. He's like British Secret Service. And this guy is just like a bigot. Like he is just like, he's the good guy. He's like a piece of crap. But mm-hmm. like, you can't help but like kind of laugh at just like how racist he is. Because um, it seems like they're perfectly okay with this idea of like going into another country and stealing something that is like a, like a heritage site in that country. And then just taking it just so that they, the, the Asians don't get it. Because if they get it, they might uprise and take over the west but then of course this is like totally echoed when they uh when fu manchu actually says that's exactly what they want to do and send the east into the west and like take over christian nations and uh mm-hmm. interbreed with their women and stuff uh well, that's true isn't it yeah <laughs> i don't know donald um mm-hmm. so yeah this movie uh is a rollicking good time uh, this movie br- just, again breezes right by. That that's one way to win me over is to be uh, very well paced and uh, mm-hmm. t- told well. Um, the lead actress in this movie is definitely one of the worst actresses I've ever seen in a uh, like Hollywood production. She's like shockingly bad. Like she just doesn't understand tone or like how to um, think through like pr- like a process of like I don't know delivery. It's just like it's just. Oh my god! I can't believe this is happening. Do you know what this is? And mm-hmm. I'm like, that's kind of like her whole delivery, like every single time. Um, so she's garbage, and uh, all the set pieces involving old Fu Manchu's uh, like secret headquarters are wicked. Uh, it's just like death traps and like sinister torture chambers. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, lasers. There's lasers in there. This guy, he's got it all. Uh, Boris Karloff's good as a snar- snarling villain. I mean, you could almost like write it off as like this could just be like any guy who's just like dressing up in like hideous yellow <laughs> face, and he could be from anywhere. Um, he doesn't particularly play it like uh, as bad. He doesn't play it racistly. He doesn't try to do like a bad Chinese accent and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that makeup and just like the actual subject matter, which you can really tell where it's been edited for long periods of time because there's like huge chunks of the movie, uh, which look fairly well restored and like look fine. But then there's these drops in the video quality. And then those are the parts where, you know, something really like either violent or really racist are going to happen because those are the scenes Mm -hmm. that were cut out and haven't been well tended to. Um, right. So yeah, this movie, like if you look on Wikipedia, you can see that it's had like quite the history. I mean, people know this movie is racist as fuck, um, yeah. but that doesn't stop it from being like an entertaining piece of racism. 
Can something? Yeah, I'm going to throw it out there. Uh, racism can be entertaining. You just you don't have to agree with it, but you can definitely look at it from afar. <laughs> I'd like to uh, distance myself from this and say that I don't uh, condone any of the things that you talk about. So uh, we are in different individual people, and you have your own <laughs> ideas and uh, thoughts. Wow, just throw me under that bus. <laughs> Well, whatever. You would have done it eventually, so I'm just beating you to it. Okay. Um, uh huh. And then I watched The City of the Dead, aka Horror Hotel, aka oh, yeah. both these titles are terrible. Um, yep. So this movie uh, is actually an, was an, an RJ pick of sorts because uh, mm-hmm. you got to it first. And right. uh, I'd seen it pop up several times. It has this weird little like movie poster because uh, it's got mm-hmm. this like really nice little drawing. It's probably from an EC Comics guy. I didn't actually look it up, but um, I didn't really know anything about this movie other than Christopher Lee was in it. So I went in blind. And mm-hmm. uh, there's that first scene, which is all set during a good old fashioned witch burning. And mm-hmm. it's like incredible, like how yeah. well shot and like done it is. Um yeah, I was just totally blown away with like how like the camera's moving in. There's these characters just staring at like the people. So just like yeah, cinematography, like this moving roving camera through this burning sequence, and mm-hmm. it just plays out super well. And then we transition into Christopher Lee's uh, office with yeah. talk to his students about witchery, and uh, yeah, and the movie just kind of keeps building. Mm-hmm. Um, with him talking to his students, he's inspired one particular student to, uh, investigate further into, uh, the witch history there in, uh, America, which is actually mm-hmm. England. Like the whole movie is actually was shot in England. It's a British, uh, oh. production, but, uh, yeah, it's, but everyone does American accents. Takes uh, place in like new England. Yeah, if that n- makes a difference. New England. Or if that ma- counts for anything. Yep. And, uh, so yeah, we got to see her travel to this little town with this, there's no hotel in sight, but there is an inn, um, when mysterious people appearing out of the fog, the thickest fogs of all, she gets psychoed, uh, and she's just dead and you never see her again. Yep. Yeah. That was like, kind of like, Whoa, I wasn't expecting that. And this is uh, Mm a same time as psycho. And yep. and then investigations further, and Christopher Lee is killing animals in the back of his office, as you do on college campuses. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, the movie just has a real good uh, vibe to it that I totally was into. Uh, strong 1960s horror offering. Mm-hmm. I always appreciate. I'm into that witchy stuff. And yeah. This movie was very, very good, and people should know about it more, but it's got a garbage title that has nothing to do with anything mm-hmm. in the movie. There's no City of the Dead. There's no Horror Hotel. Um, yeah. yeah, it sucks. It should, it's unfortunate. It should be called Spook Town. Yeah. It, it, it's That'd just, be better. Yeah, Spook Town. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, it's super good. Lots of fog. Yeah. Fo- oh, so much thick, thick, billowing fog from mm-hmm. those machines that they have offset. Mm-hmm. Um, I checked out uh, my own uh, short films uh, to squeeze them in as much as possible. I watched Clive Barker's uh, Salome from 1973. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just sort of exists as a short film. Uh, ah. It's muddled, kind of, I don't know. There's not much to talk about with it. Uh, this might uh, appeal to people who are really into art cinema, but it wasn't really mm-hmm. what I was expecting for it to be. Uh there's some couple of nice, intriguing shots. Um, but yeah, definitely Clive Barker was just kind of mucking around. I think uh, Doug Bradley makes an appearance somewhere in there, his good friend. Mm-hmm. 
then I also watched uh, Witch's Cradle, which is uh, Maya Darren uh, short film. You might not be familiar with her. She also directed the short film Meshes on the Afternoon, which is a pretty influential piece of art cinema that like I think a lot of horror directors have also like really fawned over. I know like David Lynch is a huge, huge fan of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Witch's Cradle is actually like, a weird little found piece of uh, footage, like actual found footage of like some art project that she was working on that never got completed. Um, and then some people at an art gallery in like Southern California, I think assembled it all into like what was, would be maybe what she was going for, but we would never know cause she's, she's dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just involves, uh, there's the artist Marcel Duchamp who, uh, makes his uh, appearance in this. And there's like magic string and rope encircling around people and crawling around inside the spaces and stuff like that. All very abstract. Um, mm-hmm. it's not the worst thing I've seen on YouTube. Uh, it's got some neat visuals, like kind of witch symbols on people's foreheads. <laughs> um, oh, sweet. Yeah. Everyone loves those. Uh, I love that stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, uh, you go ahead. Okay. I, I think I got like seven left, so I'll do like, I'll bang out three and then I'll bang out four. Okay. So, uh, the next movie I watched was from 1982 from director Sidney Fury. Uh, and it was called the entity or as I like to call it, ghost rape in the movie. Yep. Uh, this movie stunk. Uh, I gave it a rating when I first watched it and then I went back and I changed it and I lowered it because this movie wasn't very good and it's long as fuck which is also bad because it's two hours and five minutes of basically just ghosts raping uh, Barbara Hershey Um, I don't know what to say about this movie Uh, this lady gets raped by a ghost like 15 uh, 15 or 20 times Uh, doctors and other people think she's just hysterical and is like reliving past trauma. Um, but she just gets raped by a ghost the whole movie and, um, it stunk. So <laughs> I can't, I can't suggest this to anybody cause I didn't like it at all. Um, uh, well, I don't what, know. What, what didn't you like about it? Like, I mean, did you not know that this movie was about ghost rape when you borrowed it? Okay. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of did, but I didn't think like, like, I knew it was about like sexy ghosts. I saw it on a list <laughs> called sexy ghosts or something. Uh-huh. So I was like, all right. But I didn't realize it was just ghost rape for like fucking two hours. Oh, it's not um, two hours. The first uh, half, the first half is like the, 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 the scary part. And then the second half is the procedural part, which is like, where, she, where it kind of turns she, into ghostbusters. She, she even gets raped though in the procedural part. Right. It's only like the last half hour that there isn't rape. Um, I don't know, man. Like there's nothing, I don't know. Like it was, it's fine. It's a competent enough movie. I was just like, fuck. I was like, why, who made this movie? Why does anybody care? (laughs) Um, poor Barbara Hershey. She came a long way from fucking Woody Allen movies. Tell you that much. (laughs) Did Um, she really though? I, I don't know. I guess she's like a horror actor now. Maybe it was because of this movie. Because everyone's like, ooh, I really want that lady who got raped by the ghosts mm-hmm. to be like the older lady who's like talking about how how much it sucks to be raped by ghosts. Come on, RJ. Don't you appreciate like ghost hands squeezing boobs? Yeah, like that stuff. So I thought that was like dumb. And whenever there's a rape, <laughs> there's like this loud droning sound. It's like, it's so fucking annoying. <laughs> um, 
Yep. Ghost Rape, the movie. Mm-hmm. So I got nothing else to say about this unless you have a. I it's been, it's been so long since I've watched that movie. Um, yeah. I remember the first half being really effective, and then the second half it just turns into like the lab work and researching, and it's just like, oh, this isn't what I signed up for at all. <laughs> and like oh, I, I, Michelle Rodriguez. It's it's just yeah I, I don't know that second half I thought it was like quite it just slows right down from like the first hour yeah. which is like quite intense and like weird because it's like movies like this generally don't get made movies mm-hmm. of like like uh, mainstream horror movies about like a ghost raping a woman yeah. uh, with her family watching and stuff like that it's like yeah, yeah it's like terrifying um, yeah yeah okay yeah sure. All right. So then, then <laughs> well, I, I'm just, I'm just curious move, I, there, RJ, because no, no, because this is like confusing to me. It's like you don't think that's scary, or you just yeah, object to the material. <laughs> no, it, it's scary enough. I just, I don't know, man. Um, this comes up in another movie I watched later, uh, <laughs> where fuck, I can just talk about it now, I guess. Um, another movie I watched was from 1976 called Werewolf Woman. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought this movie was pretty cool. But again, it's like, <laughs> there's so much rape in this movie. I was like, oh, man. I don't know. I think I'm just burnt out on rape. You know what I mean, Jer? <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, because <laughs> like Werewolf Woman, I thought was really cool. But um, I don't know. She gets raped a bunch in this movie. And then there's like a big one at the end and uh, a big a big rape at the end yeah there there's like three dudes uh, doing the big rape in and it, like if it, i think boy when you boil it down i think werewolf woman is like a rape revenge movie almost sure. um but i don't know like there was a lot of other stuff I, like i actually really liked her werewolf stuff and i i thought like all the scenes with the doctors were really good they were using like actual um actual like medical jargon and not in like a silly way like it seemed pretty like it seemed well done um i don't know so i like i liked werewolf woman as well but uh i think i'm just getting burned out on rape jer <laughs> i don't know what else to say man well, that's the culture we live in i know it's like a, I've said it before, like, I know I'm a broken record with this stuff where it's, like, animal violence and, like, rape, but it's, like, it's so prevalent in horror movies that I just find it exhausting. (laughs) Because it's, like, can't you do anything else? Not everything can be spooky buddies, RJ. I like spooky buddies, man. That's a good quality movie. Christopher Lloyd's in that movie. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I guess Werewolf Woman was the other movie, another movie I watched. Um, But that was pretty good. Like I thought it had some cool stuff. Yeah. Like, um, it's, it's kind of vague in my mind, but I remember I'd seen it pop up on a couple of like recommendation lists and stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll give it a try. And I remember really enjoying the, uh, the European trashy vibe of it. It's got really good, uh, it's lots of good sequences built into it, like in the hospital yep. and, uh, like her, like you could read it as like this mental breakdown. And of course it's also got like mm-hmm. these, the flashbacks to like the, like essentially it's like another like witch burning sort of situation and she's being hunted down and like swearing right. revenge and stuff like that. Um, and it's, it's like, I'd have to rewatch it again to talk about it probably a little bit uh, more intelligently, but like, just yep. like there's, there's the idea. It's like, yeah, there is like this, like, yeah, she's been traumatized because of these rapes and they're super greasy mm-hmm. and slimy. Um, yeah. And I guess it's like, it's all about your mileage varying about like how you watch like rape revenge movies. Um, like, cause I mean, something like the entity, there is no real revenge at no. all to it. There's no real payoff. It's more just this like 
like unreal. Like it's terrifying this idea that oh, there's this invisible. Like, actually, goes back to the Ambrose Pierce thing I was talking about. About like this invisible thing that is going to target you, and there's nothing you can do about it, and nothing yeah. about it makes any sense. So how do you even begin to explain? Let alone it's like let alone like the idea that like when people actually are raped, it's hard enough to like prosecute that. Let alone oh, I'm being raped by an invisible demon and mm-hmm. it's like well that's like even worse and it's and it happens all the time and there's yeah. no stopping it um and then yeah, you're some, right yeah and then something like werewolf woman uh yeah it's 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 uh again european 70s filmmaking uh yep. it's italian they they have they don't pull punches they don't make qualms about mm-hmm. this shit um well christ because even like i i forgot about in like cannibal holocaust like the one uh female uh, direct uh, documentarian she gets raped before she gets uh dismembered and eaten alive mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like oh yeah because they had to throw that into yeah might yeah. as well i guess yeah so i don't know i it's again i feel i'm in a position where i'm like ah oh, now i have to defend things to rj <laughs> no you don't have to you don't have to defend it like yeah like I, I'm not defending, but it's like one of those things where it's like, well, see, these are things that like, yeah, they're there, and I guess like, there's these are definitely movies that like, well, uh, if uh, someone from work, uh, nice, the nice lady from work says, hey, Jared, what are some of the good horror movies you've watched lately? I'm like, well, you should watch Werewolf Woman and the Entity next. It's like yeah. those are movies I just wouldn't like bring to people's attention unless like, sure. Uh, I figured, well, okay, maybe they'll be okay with this type of thing because they know it's a movie and. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not there, but if you can't handle it, it's like, yeah, probably not a strong point. Well, yeah, yeah. no, I get it. Like I'll say werewolf woman is a good movie. I just, I don't know, man. I'm like, I said, I'm just like burnt out on that stuff. It's like, "Eh." it's like, here's another one. Here's more. (laughs) So (laughs) it's what October's all about. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Um, anyways, should I squeeze one more in here? Go for it. Uh, so then I watched, uh, another, uh, middle of the road movie here called, um, Ills or Them. Uh, the French title is ILS, I suppose mm-hmm. you would say, mm. uh, from 2006. <laughs> uh, and yep. And this is, uh, one of those based on, uh, based on true events, kind of, uh, grisly Vag- encounters. Vaguely, yep. Vaguely about, um, a home invasion in Romania. Mm-hmm. So... You get a young couple, and they live in a house out in the woods, and then people come into their home. Um, I'm not going to say, like, too much in case other people want to watch it. Um, So I have, like, I think home invasion stuff is really scary because that's just real. Yeah, it is scary. (laughs) Yeah, I think that shit is real and it's scary. Um, So, like, I think this movie is really successful in that that part um there's just a, a few things like i didn't have any like real problems with this movie they were just things that bossed me a little bit uh like one thing <laughs> this is gonna sound dumb but their house is fucking huge like it's insane the way it's set up there's like this attic over their bathroom and that's like the only way in but there's like fridges in the attic and tables and then that attic has a trap door to another attic and it, i was just like what the like what kind of house do these people live in like i don't understand the layout of this stuff uh that was very bizarre um the husband is the fucking worst which is the case for a lot of horror movie characters but it's like uh they know there's people in the house they know they're trying to kill him and the husband's like i'll just i'll just here you stay in here i'll go i'll go look at this stuff and like he doesn't do anything to like 
defend himself at all. He's just kind of like aimlessly wandering around the house. And it's just, I, I wonder, it's like, was that how I would be if there was people in my house? We'd just be like, I'll be like, hey, Andrea, you just hang out here. I'll just go wander around and get stabbed in the leg and get hit <laughs> over the head because I'm not paying attention of what I'm doing. It's like, oh, the TV's on. That's so weird. But it's like, yeah, well, you know there's fucking people in your house. They stole your goddamn car. You fucking maniac. <laughs> um, so I, I watch this because uh, it gets brought up a lot in the French extremity horror, mm -hmm. which I find uh, very misleading because there's nothing extreme about this movie at all where it gets brought up with like movies like Martyrs and uh, High Tension. Mm -hmm. uh, Martyrs is very extreme. Uh, High Tension is a wannabe extreme movie that really sucks because it's got a horrible twist. Um. So I don't know where this movie fits in there. Like people describe or put it in well, there all the time, but it's, it's like I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't get that visceral quality. Like when you watch Martyrs, yeah, that that French extremes like uh, thing. That's like a fancy way of saying French horror movies that were being made in like the two thousands. That's okay. all it means. Um, yep. but yeah, no, I, uh, I watched this movie also for the same reason way back when, um, and it didn't really leave that much of an impression. Uh, yeah. home invasion also scares me. And so I think that it's like, a yep. it's pretty ripe for uh horror thriller stuff. And I don't really, yeah, I just honestly don't remember too much of this movie other than like eventually somebody's out in the woods and mm -hmm. people's head gets, someone's head gets caved in with a rock probably and left for dead and all that type of stuff that happens. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Kind of like that's what I mean. Like stuff happens in this movie, but some of it's kind of boring. And a lot of it, I think the thing is just like uh, the husband character just really pulls you out of it because he just keeps making dumb decisions. And it's like, OK, yeah, I get it. People are dumb. People make dumb decisions. But it, it doesn't seem like that's how the character would act. I don't mm -hmm. know, man. Um, so home invasion, scary uh, movies about home invasion sometimes scary there you go there you go so um, I'll, I'll swing it back to you okay so i watched dead end drive-in uh that's from 1986 directed by old brian trenchard smith who directed his movies like trunk uh, turkey shoot and uh stuff like man from hong kong he's a good old uh ausploitation standby so Dead End Drive-In, uh, I'd never seen this movie before. I had just gotten the uh, Arrow Blu-ray of it, and I figured I'd watch it this month because it's a horror movie. But in, in, realistically, it's actually just more of like a post-apocalyptic sci-fi story, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of like a world where it's like kind of post-nuclear, and in Australia, things are kind of getting going Mad Max with like roving like teenage gangs and stuff like that. Like this movie looks really good. Like the production mm -hmm. value and stuff like that. This movie looks fantastic. Um, what happens is kid goes on a date with a girl. They go to a drive-in theater and they're checking out some Brian Trenchard Smith movies. As a matter of fact, um, mm -hmm. and then they wind up getting locked into it because it's it's like turned into an internment camp where like all the other like rough kids and stuff like that all went to the same theater at the same time and now they're locked in and they had to live now in the drive-in theater. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I don't uh -huh. know. So, somewhere along the line, this movie really just lost me. 
Yeah. Um, like other than it being very pretty to look at, uh, the, the story doesn't like really go into another gear. It just winds up being, Hey, there's this movie where now they're being like interned and then some refugees show up and then people are racist against Asian people and because they have to be, and then they're going to rise up against the authority figures mm-hmm. and there's gonna be an action scene at the very end because brian trencher smith likes to do action stunts and stuff which is cool but yeah there's like really not too much like even in the horror realm of this movie but it gets classified as such so i don't yeah. really get that um because i guess it's called dead end drive-in you think there'd be a lot more crazy stuff in it but not yeah. really and then yeah. i watched another like kind of lame duck of a movie called little cory gory which I'd seen kind of pop mm. up in like kind of obscure slashers and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and the guy who actually directed this, he made this available for free to download off his own website as a uh, Windows media video file. So mm-hmm. I downloaded that and uh, thought, oh, this kind of looks, this this has got some potential. But it turns out you should just watch, um, there's this movie called uh, Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker, a.k.a. Night Warning. People should just watch that movie because that movie does everything in this does way, way better. Cool. Um, I mean, to recap, a little Cory Gory, it's just about a kid whose uh, dad died, married to this horrible fat woman, and now he has to live mm-hmm. with the fat, horrible woman and her piece of shit son. And they're all just pieces of shit to him, and he goes crazy, and he starts killing them, and that's about it. And there's some nice aspects where it's like very much a product of uh, like when it was filmed, like which is like '89, it didn't get released till '93. Uh, not even it's in complete form so there's like hairstyles and clothes in the neighborhoods and stuff like that but then there's some Mm -hmm. real uncomfortable bits where like uh there's like the next door neighbors who are like african-american and like these characters just start dropping n-bombs left and right and it's just like but i'm like i don't know how i feel about this (laughs) like it's yeah i don't know it's a weird movie it's a scuzzy kind of movie um I don't know. I might just not have been in the right mood for this thing, but I just thought like this is like I've seen way better versions of this very type of thing made um, mm-hmm. that I recommend people watch instead. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say scuzzy type of movie. You're a scuzzy type of guy. I, I am a I'm a scumbag, and it's yeah. like hey, this scumbag movie. This why isn't it scummy enough or like not mm-hmm. like good enough or recommendable enough? But yeah, well, night night warnings wicked. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, I'll talk about some of my mainstream picks that I watched. Okay. Cool. I watched Candyman again. That was a re- that was actually a rewatch that came out in uh, the blue because uh, another podcast that we listened to they talked about Candyman again and it kind of got me like interested because I watched Candyman about four and a half years ago for the first time and I was kind of let down by it. I didn't really like remember too too much about it at all. Yeah. Um, but I guess I figured now is the time since I've like really come around on like Clive Barker and on, on, on Hellraiser stuff. I'm like, oh, I'll watch Candyman again. And Candyman is pretty damn good. Uh, Philip mm-hmm. Glass score is amazing. The movie's got a real kind of spookiness to it. There's a couple things that are like not great, like some shitty jump scares that are just there that kind of like yeah. weren't necessary whatsoever. Um, but it's definitely a unique environment for a horror movie. Um, you don't really see a lot of movies set like in like that, like urban ghetto space. Um, as much as you think that would be like a perfect place ripe to do so. Um, but this movie does it well. And Tony Todd is scary. Uh, my friend Corey informed me, uh, last night uh, after we watched the movie that he had read that apparently Eddie Murphy was at one point, oh, uh, no. considered to play the Candyman, which is just, ugh. 
Unfor- the Candyman. That, that would have been unfortunate. Uh, I guess he got his horror out when he was the vampire in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. He can stay there. Um, okay. But yeah, the Philip Glass score, I've been listening to it actually pretty consistently since watching it uh, the other night. Uh, cool. It's really good. And yeah, I definitely think people should watch that movie because I think it's it holds up fairly well. It's got just yeah. a good vibe. Actually, I really hope that uh, Scream Factory or someone puts it on Blu-ray soon because the DVD is all that's out in uh, North America and it looks just okay. Like it's totally watchable, but I think it lo- it could yeah. look really uh, eye popping uh, when in- inevitably it's going to get released in HD. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And then there, well, I watched uh, Poltergeist Two: The Other Side. Mostly because I've seen Poltergeist 1 and I've been told Poltergeist 3 is actually supposed to be kind of really good or like at mm-hmm. least worth watching. But I figured I should watch 2 because you have to. You and man, so I don't know. I'm actually not much of a Poltergeist fan. I didn't like the first movie a terrible, great deal. Yeah. Um, I thought it like had some cool visual effects, but on the whole, the story just isn't that good. Craig T. Nelson, I don't think is that appealing of a <gasps> actor he's not like i don't care about him being coach and all that uh, people seem to have like misplaced um nostalgia slash irony when it comes to him i don't get it in this movie uh he shows up at the very beginning because it's like it takes place right after the first movie the house is disappeared into a black hole the insurance mm-hmm. company's not going to cover a house that's just disappeared or been misplaced um so they're kind of like living with uh his wife's mother and uh his hair's like all gone to seed he's going to try to sell Aww. vacuum cleaners again uh the little annoying girl uh she says things badly because she's not she wasn't that good of an actress uh, R.I.P. Little girl, because <laughs> she she actually died. I think of pneumonia. I think after making this movie, I can't remember. Jesus. How, yeah, but is this a cursed movie? It is. Yeah, it is a cursed movie. There's like a bunch of dead people associated with the Poltergeist franchise. Um, yeah, uh, I can't remember all the details of that, but I don't know. So the guy, the kind of the villain of this movie is uh, his name's Kane, and he's really good. Like he actually the wrestler. No, no, not uh, not Glenn Jacobs. No, uh, this is uh, some other guy who only really was in this movie and a few other things. I think this was his okay. last movie. Uh, but this guy Kane, he actually reminds me a lot of the what I would imagine the villain of Heart Shaped Box would look like. Just this kind of Ooh. ghoulish, uh, like he's very much in line with like a Stephen King's Joe Hill villain. Yeah, unassuming, all like kind of. Uh, Amish staring man <laughs> and Amish? Uh, Amish looking like he's like old timey looking like he okay. looks like he could have gotten off the Puritan boat and he's just like been walking around like North America ever since right, um, right, right. but he's he's like definitely a highlight he gets I think replaced in the third one which kind of stinks but I mean the real mm. low light in this Poltergeist 2 movie though is like the this, the optical effects in it are really bad they don't look good mm-hmm. whatsoever like yeah. it's it's pre CGI, but it's optical effects. So things are just kind of like placed in, and they don't look good. Like bad storm clouds and stuff. It's one of those things that uh, I don't know. They cheaped out on or something, or they didn't plan for this stuff very well because it's very after. It feels after the uh, after the fact kind mm-hmm. of uh, figuring out of things. The practical when they do practical effects, those are really good. Um, kind of the the heroes uh, supernatural. Um, protector in this movie it's the um, the native guy from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest mm-hmm. so he, he shows up uh, Zelda Rubenstein the uh, the little the yeah. little the little woman from Poltergeist mm-hmm. she shows up again and she's not good still she's still not 
good at acting or talking. Oh, that's uh, too bad. Yeah, uh, but whatever. I mean, I don't. Know. This movie's got some just incredibly bad optical effects that are just mm-hmm. like, holy crap, this is beyond bad. Um, I didn't. I don't know. The movie went by fairly quickly, but. I couldn't really tell you too much about what happened other than the the other side, whatever the hell it's called. The evil spirits are still after this same girl because she can c- communicate and whatever. Yeah. At some point, Craig T. Nelson gets a haircut that's completely unexplained. So, like, at one point, he has long <laughs> – he has, like, the shaggy mullet hair, and then he has, like, yeah. normal Craig T. Nelson hair. And it's like, what happened? That sounds cool. No explanation. I, I, I bet there's a deleted scene out there where it's just him getting, getting a haircut, haircut for yeah. like five minutes. Yeah. Well, usually nothing happens. Yeah, I, I just think it's like weird, like uh, continuity problems when you have like your actor, he gets a haircut at some point. Cause yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like distracting. It's like, that doesn't need to be, why did they just not have him just have the same type of hair throughout or have to explain him getting a haircut, at least having a line saying, Oh, I guess I got to get a haircut from the funeral. Like just nothing, yeah. no explanation. It's just, just, odd um <laughs> my other uh, mainstream movie i'll mention is house on haunted hill from 1999 oh, no. the remake um so i was on board with this movie up until the uh, just awful awful cgi that appears mm-hmm. it's so bad dude <laughs> yeah i i saw that movie when i was a little kid so i don't remember it that well but uh it, it sounds like uh early 2000 weird CGI attempt. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's been a long time since I watched that haunting remake, but, uh, I remember it being pretty bad and I can't imagine it looks any better, but I don't know if it will look as bad as what's in this. <laughs> it, yeah. it's, it's crap. Uh, so the movie kind of like revisits the uh, 1959 movie with Vincent Price. There's like weird little nods to the movie that I guess the director, William Malone, uh, made, he actually put back into the movie. Um, I actually just had listened to the um, killer POV mm-hmm. interview they did with him talking about this movie because they all seem to be really into this movie, which is what brought this movie back onto my radar. Because I just like I had no interest in this movie when it first came out way back when. It just looked like shit. Um, and the movie is just like pretty well. Mm-hmm. Yep, it pretty well is just nothing. Uh, there's a reason why no one really talks about it too much. There's a couple of neat little spots to it, but I mean, is that really enough for people to go out of their way to recommend it? I don't know. Not not at this time of the year. No, there's like, give me the goods, man. Give me the, give me the entities. That's what I the say. The ghost drapes. Yeah. 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 There's not a single ghost drape in the house on Haunted Hill. <sighs> what a bunch of bullshit. But Jeffrey Rush is very good. Um, Does he eat a bushel of apples in that movie? Not one. So thumbs down, I guess. Man. Oh, okay. The worst thing about this fucking movie though, uh, the opening credit sequence has to be one of the worst ugly looking things I've ever seen in a mainstream movie. More um, than X-Men Apocalypse? Uh, I think it's worse. Oh man. I, I think it's actually okay. worse cause it, it's so junky. Like it's, mm-hmm. yeah. Cause I mean, at least like it looks like someone actually had to make the, uh, uh, X-Men apocalypse opening credits. This is mm-hmm. something, this is on a different level. It looks, I don't know. What they is it like a PowerPoint for. presentation where someone like made animation it, transitions no, and stuff? No, it looks like uh DVD menus. Like it looks like uh, someone was like, uh, if you go into your, uh, I DVD uh, uh, menu makers and there's some weird like bad horror movie effects you can put in. That's what this looks mm-hmm. like. It's terrible. The movie has some like re- like this movie is surprisingly violent though. Um, mm-hmm. Also and also pretty. Uh, it's got some profane language, which right. uh, might offend some tastes. Um, yeah, and, I don't and like some, and uh, some profanity boob- and boobs. It's got some quick boobs Ooh. as women are getting killed and stuff. And I'm like, what? This Does movie it got any long butts. 
No, no, this is long past the long butt era. Okay. Yeah, these are all nice tight tushes. Ooh. Fam- oh, and uh, my girl Famke Johnson's in it. Girl, mm, Jean, Jean, Jean Grey. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Yep. Well, that's all right. Cool. So you can mention your last few, I guess. Yeah, I'll finish mine off here as uh, we're uh, bridging uh, a threshold we've never reached before in a t- length of episodes. And I'm not sure how the fans will fare with that, but, you yeah. know, here it goes. Um, so another movie I watched was from the 70s from uh, Mr. George Romero called Martin, which was a, a pretty cool little movie. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of this. Mm, maybe. Um, maybe. Uh, so I didn't really know much going into this. I thought all I knew was it was a vampire movie. Um, so I was like, all right, I'll throw it in. Uh, Martin is like kind of a teenage boy who likes to kill people and bathe and drink in their blood. Um, and he gets sent to uh, a distant uncle's house who is like a real old man who believes in a family curse where they have vampires in their family. And he's like, I know you are a vampire in Nosferatu. I'm going to get you, man. Better stay in line or I'll get you. And it's, you know, it's just a coming of age story about uh, Martin and he's trying to understand his place in the world. It's, um, I, yeah, I mean, like, I didn't know that movie was secretly directed by Wes Anderson. Oh, was it? Yeah. I didn't know that either. Okay. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> I had no it, idea. it wasn't, but uh, I think it's like it resembles like uh, stuff, something like oh, Rushmore okay. quite a bit. Uh, yeah. Like, it's just like the way I imagine, like, the way it's, just, it's got this quirky stuff. I mean, it doesn't like look like a Wes Anderson movie, uh, but I thought I thought you said Wes Craven. So <laughs> I was like, oh, I was like, okay, maybe that Wes is true. Craven. No, Wes Anderson, my okay. friend. Oh, yeah. Okay. I can see that. It's pretty quirky in that sense. Yeah. It's offbeat. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. So, no, yeah, this movie's uh, really good. Um, it's super weird and quirky, like you said. Uh, there's a lot of individual things that are just kind of funny or goofy or strange. Yeah. Um, I don't really know how to talk about this movie. I liked it, so I would suggest other people go see it. It's cool. Yeah, um, I have seen Martin. Uh, you borrowed mm-hmm. my DVD of it, which also, that's mm-hmm. another film that de- desperately needs a upgrade um, to look yeah. uh, what it needs to. Because I think the version that you uh, that I own, it's like uh, cropped weirdly, and it's like uh, it doesn't look great. Like yeah, all the shots, just... everything looks yeah. overshot. Yeah. That being said, though, uh, the movie, like the story and everything like that, I fucking love this movie. Uh, I think it's like top notch. Um, George Romero. Uh, it's like Night of the mm-hmm. Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Martin, or like his like three, like uh, like he did it three times. He made three amazing horror movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Martin is, yeah, like just like that opening scene with on the, on the subway train and like him yeah. like going after that woman. It's so vicious and violent and like mm-hmm. kind of like, wow, that's exactly how it would go down. Like it's like very realistic. Um, yeah. And like him, like you have the whole process of him like stalking women and going through their houses and like closing the doors and stuff like that. Like that stuff is so great. Um, mm-hmm. Like movies don't ever get it that well. And, and Romero yep. does it really well. And then there's like these like weird, like goofy things that you're mentioning, like where it's like, mm-hmm. is this like, he's not really taking this seriously, but then it also makes those scenes where this movie goes serious even more kind of like, kind of creepy. Yeah. Um, and like Martin's kind of a creepy looking kid. Um, uh-huh. yeah, he kind of, uh, and oh yeah. And he's the, got a snaggle tooth. Yeah. Delivering his, d- delivering the groceries 
to ladies oh, yeah. and like been mm-hmm. starting up relationships and that whole scene like that seems like that seems so sad it's like yeah it's, it, it plays out more like the graduate or something like that it's just mm-hmm. like weird like it goes through all these paces of this kid who's like he thinks he's a vampire and his grandfather knows he's a vampire and we're not quite <laughs> yeah. exactly sure and that pays yeah. off like crazily <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like, did you see that yeah. coming? <laughs> no, it's out of nowhere. And yeah. it's amazing. Like the ending of this movie is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that one scene. Yeah. Except yeah. right before that scene, there's a really weird sequence where they show um, uh, dudes killing chickens and like deplucking plucking the fle- feathers and stuff. And I was like, what the fuck? I was like, where is it? Where, where did this come from? <laughs> so that's really weird. But then the, the scene, the end scene with the grandpa is awesome. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, the movie's got that, like, junky Philadelphia, like, mm-hmm. it just 70s depression garbage strikes, and it's just, like, it's, like, scum, filthy, but mm-hmm. and it all plays in, like, this movie that's, like, so unforgettable, like, uh, you couldn't replicate, you, it's impossible to replicate something like this now. Yeah. Ah, oh, man, yeah. Martin So, Martin, rules. good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, and then uh, I watched two shorts. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause I'm the shorts man, yeah. uh, and I'm wearing shorts right now. So I guess, uh, whoa. uh, the first one <laughs> was from uh, 1989 called a uh, kitchen sink. Uh, and this was like a 15 minute short, uh, about a lady who finds a hair in her drain and, uh, she begins to pull on it and then starts pulling out more and more hair in a rat nest of hair. And then like a little baby fetus comes pulled out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some other stuff happens and it's, uh, really gross and it's really creepy and it's super effective and it's a really good short. Um, I don't know what else to say. Uh, everything in this movie looks really good. Um, like the way they were able to, uh, not just like filming it cause that looks good too, but like all the kind of effects they do looks, look really, uh, spot on. Um, it was really good. I liked it. Yeah, uh, this because you came to me asking, hey, what are some good horror shorts I can fit in today on yeah. this horrible day? And mm-hmm. the only two movies came to mind after I looked it up quick again. I was like, yeah, you should watch Kiss and Sink and the other one you wound up watching because yep. they're like kind of like the top like horror shorts I've come across since mm-hmm. like really like digging into this horror stuff for the last four years. Um, yep. Yeah, Kitchen Sink, like, uh, man, I don't know really put it. Like, I wish people talked about this way more than they talked about the Babadook. Uh, because, oh, yeah. Because part of the thing with Kitchen Sink, so it's like, because it's, it's, it's either Australia or New Zealand. I can't remember off the top of my head, but mm-hmm. um, it's like female director. And this is like the one thing that she kind of made. And I think this movie is like way more like lingers in my mind. Um, like the whole process mm-hmm. of like the hair coming up and this disgusting thing. Yeah. And then what happens after that with mm-hmm. like this relationship and um, yeah. And it's like, and it's exactly the, what horror shorts should be um, mm-hmm. s- just succinct and like odd and like kind of like s- there's a sadness to it too. Yeah. Which I think like, it's one thing that I always, when I start thinking back to like the horror movies that I really, really consider w- well-made or like uh, my mm-hmm. favorites, there's like always like a sadness or longing to these things. And this movie totally has that too. It's like Martin. Well, yeah. It's, <laughs> I said before, Jer, I can't remember who I heard it from, but it's like the best monsters are the ones that don't want to be. And that's sad, man. That's sad. Sad. But yeah, Kitchen Sink was uh, wicked good, uh, real creepy and gross. So I, I don't want to talk about it too much because yeah. people could just watch it. You but the next, it out. Yep. The next one I watched was from uh, 1972 called La Cabina. La Cabina, did you catch that? Uh, or uh, The Phone Box in English? Yeah. Um, what country is this from? Do you know? Spanish. Spanish of some sort. Yeah, it's Spain, um, I think. Okay, uh, this one was awesome too. Uh, 
uh, it opens. You see peop- uh, this team of construction men building a telephone box, um, like an old s- style uh, Superman type telephone box in the middle of a courtyard. Uh, and then a man wanders into the box and he gets trapped. And uh, that's the whole movie is this guy's trapped in a phone box and uh, a crowd. Colin yeah, Colin Farrell, uh, written by Mel Gibson. Um, a crowd uh, appears and people try to help him and uh, it turns into a kind of a circus debacle where there, there's really great scenes where the guy in the box is watching how the crowd is reacting. Like mm-hmm. they're watching people try to break it open, but they're also like eating snacks and like pulling up like house chairs just to like sit and watch the show and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Um, this really, actually this one really reminded me of, um, Ray Bradbury's stories going back to our theme for the episode. Uh, this is totally a Bradbury thing. Like, he has some short – I think he has one short story called The Crowd where it's like uh, whenever there's a murder, this huge crowd of people goes to just like watch basically. Um, it also reminded me of uh, that Black Mirror episode where uh, the lady gets dropped into – you get dropped in the world and there's like horrible things happening but everyone is like filming it with their cell phones where there's just like crowds of people watching oh, stuff the happening. white rabbit like or whatever. White bear. White bear. That's – yeah. yeah. So it reminded me of that too. Um, I don't want to. I think that's a good enough description of it. I think I don't want to say how the ending goes, but I think the ending is awesome. It's so good. <laughs> I really liked yeah. it. This is another film that I think like this. This totally captures why I like to dig for stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like I look for recommendations for short films, for horror books, for anything like all the time. Like that's like you look at top lists to find stuff like La Cabina because that's how I found out about this film. Um, this yep. movie doesn't like rise to the surface like on its own. Uh, you have to like people have to talk about stuff and talk up like good stuff that people should be seeking out. And that's how I learned about mm-hmm. this. And I watched it and it blew me away then. Uh, I still I watch it. Um, it perfectly goes along with like what people want, I think, for Halloween. Kind of like something mm-hmm. just like odd, spooky, kind of different than anything else you're going to see. Um, and doesn't stuff like this, something like this doesn't get made now, let alone this ma- well made. Um, yeah. I, I'm a sucker for 70s aesthetics as far as filmmaking goes. So in this film mm-hmm. totally has that. Because um, it's almost like, there's almost like a, it's like almost like dark comedy, I guess yep. you could add to it. Um, mm-hmm. There's like the compl- there's like a political bent to it because it is like Spain during like um, just people disappearing, <laughs> mm-hmm. and like and it kind of plays into that. And just this idea of like, yeah, I mean, I, also talking about Ray Bradbury, also bring up Kafka and just like this mm-hmm. nightmarish system of that people can find themselves in and situations and people just like are hopeless but just stand aside and kind of watch it happen. Yeah. So yeah, uh, the phone box, La Cabina from the seventies, super good. Yeah. Uh, that ended, man, real good. I liked it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, just to finish things off, uh, last night late, uh, I squeezed in a short one uh, from the last decade called uh, Trick or Treat. Uh, I had actually never seen this movie. Yeah, I was surprised um, by that. Yeah, I I, th- I thought I had, and then a, co- a year ago or so, I was like, wait, I've never seen that movie. So I had it in my back pocket, um, I was saving it, because I was like, mm, Andrew would maybe like this, because it's like a newer movie, kind of like an anthology, might be uh, easy to just kind of jump in, keep the interest and stuff like that. Um, I liked it, I thought it was good. Um, I w- it might be one of those deals where it's like, I like the idea of it more than I actually like it, if that mm, makes sense, yeah. like an Augie Farts type of deal. Um, because I, I really like, you you can see the 
the uh, care put into this stuff and the guy who made it is very clearly a, a big horror Halloween enthusiast. Um, there, there's a few segments I really like. I like the school bus one. I think that's really cool. Uh, the mascot Sam is really cool. Although I don't like his look under the bag. Um, mm. I'm not as much of a fan of that, but when he's just walking around and is like burlap or in his orange pajamas and burlap head, I think that's really, uh, really cool. But I mean, that's not news. People have always liked that. Um, Brian Cox is in this, which is super awesome. Uh, your buddy Dylan Baker is in this as well, uh, the rapist from Happiness. Uh, so that's very distracting for me. I can't uh, watch anything with that guy in it anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that he's aware of his new reputation because of that film. Yeah. Was it worth it, man? Was it worth it? Uh, but anyways, um, no, yeah, I like trick or treat. Like it's definitely, uh, if you're just looking for something to fucking throw on that has a lot of, uh, the aesthetics of Halloween, like the sounds and the imagery and things like that, uh, there's a lot worse you could do. This one, this one fills, fills that hole. Yeah. That's um, it. Um, yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah, I watched that movie myself, uh, around close around when it came out and excited heard it had quite like a lot of positive things around it. And I mean, yep. it's, it's totally inoffensive, uh, horror yep. fun type of stuff. Um, it, I'm trying to remember all the short stories in it. There's like Brian Cox. There's the, Oh, I can, I can recap it for you. Yeah. Like, uh, it starts out. There's like a young couple with a shitty girlfriend and she blows out her pumpkin too early. And, uh, it's really weird. The husband goes into the house to watch porn while the wife takes all the decorations down in the middle of the night, which I, I thought was super bizarre. Uh-huh. Uh, but from there you go to the rapist man and, uh, you see a really fat piece of shit kid, which I think it might be Thurman Merman from bad Santa. He come up and, uh, Dylan Baker's like, here, have some of this candy. And he's telling him about like all this all these like Halloween traditions. And then he's like, Oh yeah. Another one is you should always like check your food. And then the kid starts puking. Cause he like ate razor blades. Mm. Um, and you find out Dylan Baker is the principal of like an elementary, but he's also a serial killer. So he's like burying little kids in his backyard. And he's the, his neighbor is old Brian Cox and mm-hmm. sets that up. And then it comes back to it later. You see, so he buries some kids and then, uh, you see him interact with his son and then he goes out on the town uh, there's a side story with a bunch of young, attractive young women setting up something that is a little suspicious, like a party out in the woods. Right. Uh, you get a vampire in the streets and uh, his story crosses with these young ladies, uh, which is werewolves. So spoiler, whatever. Uh, werewolves. Uh, then you get a group of kids. Uh, this was the one I liked the most to tell a story about like uh, – a past group of kids who were from like, uh, like the special school, like the mentally challenged school and how the parents didn't want to deal with them anymore. So they paid the bus driver to drive the bus into a ravine. Uh, and it's, it's very bizarre. Like, um, it's, it's like the popular girl and she convinces her friends to like play this trick on, um, like an autistic girl or something. And Mm -hmm. it's just like, Holy, it's like, fuck. It's like, that's so mean. It's like, I guess I, I guess people do do shitty things like that, but watching it, you're just like, God damn. Um, and throughout all of these two, you see, like I said, Sam, the mascot, the little kid with the burlap sack, he's kind of in the background of all these. Uh, and then it goes to the Brian Cox story. He's like an old curmudgeon. And then the Sam mascot kind of comes into his house and is, they embark in a battle 
mm-hmm. and they fight each other. Uh, and then, um, and then it kind of ends, uh, Brian Cox gives the kid candy and he leaves. Uh, and yeah, that's pretty much the movie. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, that all sounds vaguely familiar. I kind of re- also remember like a school bus and like a rock quarry or something and water. Yeah. That's it. I talked yeah, about yeah. that. that. That's all I remember though. Like that's all yeah. I like recall about this film. Like specifically, okay. like I don't remember too much of the actual gotcha. details of watching it. That's when I was thinking more along the lines. Sure. Of, yeah. Sure. 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 I remember liking it just fine. And then people seem to talk it up way beyond maybe what it actually yeah. is, but it, it, I think it's got a lot of cult following mm-hmm. and it's fine, but I, I can see why people love it, but it's not as amazing as some people may suggest. Yeah. And then, yeah, that's that. Um, so, I, I'm just going to talk about one more movie. I could talk about okay. a few more, but I'm, we're running long. Uh, yes. So I, I got my uh, Toby Hooper uh, requirement out of the way this month, right here in the middle of mm-hmm. the month. And that was in the form of the masters of horror episode of dance of the dead. Uh, that was aired back in 2005. Um, cool. this was crap. Like most latter day Toby Hooper stuff is, uh, some people seem to really like him. Uh, my experience has not been very good. This mm-hmm. is just like, uh, everything I kind of hate about mid two thousands horror films that I've watched are present here. Like there seems to be like, it it thinks a lot of things are like, you should just, I don't even put this. It it takes for granted. Is it a dump? No, it takes for granted what people know about horror and it doesn't feel like it has to explain a lot of stuff. Um, It's clearly like a television budget and I don't think he did a very good job of like expanding that and like stretching that money to uh, the most as it could have been. Cause I've seen some masters of horror episodes that are actually quite good. This one yeah. just seemed like an afterthought. The whole story is that it's sort of post-apocalypse. That seems to be a theme tonight with me saying it a lot tonight. Um, yep. And there's uh, people who are diseased and kind of dead. And there's people who take uh, needles and uh, take out chemicals or fluids that can be synthesized into like something that you can inject into other like dead bodies. And it animates meets them kind of and Robert Englund's an mm-hmm. MC at a like dark edgy club that plays shitty music and he has these like dead bodies perform as they get shocked by cow- cattle prods oh okay uh, so that's kind of like the horror part of the story the other part is it's about a, a mother and daughter who are running a cafe in like one of the towns that haven't been like completely destroyed in this post-apocalypse it's just like a town it looks like a diner and then there's like all mm-hmm. these like dark edgy kids that are like running around stealing this stuff out of old people this plasma to like inject into dead bodies and make them animated it doesn't really make any sense um but it's just characters who call women bitch cunts and stuff like that it's just like garbage dialogue um real hack stuff uh the thing that i got really disappointed by was when i looked up like who wrote this and it's like mm-hmm. oh uh this film is written by richard matheson and Aww. but wait but i think it's like probably based on a story by him and then uh the actual film was probably written by his son rich uh richard christian matheson Mm. Uh, and who's like gone on to do just garbage. Uh, so his son's terrible. He's probably, he's probably this older guy. who's just like cashing on his dad's successes. If you're listening, Richard Christensen, Matheson, you stink. Oh Uh, no. Um, but anyway, 
this the I just hated this. Uh, it's got right. real bad like uh, shaky editing where it's like something's focused on a moment and then it just keeps cutting to like weird different angles as it's intensifying and it just makes no sense and it keeps it's it really overdoes that for no reason. Mm-hmm. Um, the music is just bad mid two thousands edgy music. Mm-hmm. Um, everything about this is pretty bad uh oh, i i won't remember great. i won't remember anything about it uh a week from now yeah um what great more can success. i what more can i say this is sometimes Nothing, man this, this is the pain this is the pain sometimes of uh doing these uh dives into the horror world is yeah. sometimes you hit a dance of the dead sometimes you hit a hellraiser hell world um where you just hit all the obnoxious buttons uh that just make me mad because actually this movie came out the same year as old hell world and it's got like all the same crap like just like here's a here's a hot chick and she's wearing like a leather corset isn't that hot and it's like no it's not it's boring i don't care yeah no it's not but it's just yeah that's like a good old lazy go-to for uh dudes toy hooper i don't who even knew how involved he was in this he might have just been there and said yeah point the camera there Mm. y'all yeah i think yeah that one for toby hooper also i don't there's a lot of other dudes i would i think deserve the credit more than him yeah well i mean i mean he he made texas chainsaw massacre i mean that's yeah but what else has he done for me lately (laughs) yeah pretty much well he he made a a genie movie too his gin which i think got late Mm -hmm. uh released long after the fact i'm sure that's hot garbage too but you never know right you got to check it out no i'm getting i'm actually i think i've seen like almost everything he's directed except for like a very small handful of things and uh I think a lot of it's like his name's associated, but then it turns out his like name got like, he just like stopped directing after a while because I don't know how how game he is making this type of crap. But mm-hmm. yeah, but ah, well, fuck it, fuck it, fuck it. We'll leave it there. Yeah. Hey, folks. So if you're still listening, this is the Criterion Creeps podcast. This is our Ghoul School special. And uh, if you like what you've been listening to, uh, it's two guys talking about rape ghosts, talking about Toby <laughs> Hooper, talking mm-hmm. about um, child rapist Bites Dylan Baker. Uh, yep. Yeah. Well, you can follow us on Twitter to hear more about that. You can email mm-hmm. us. You can tell us about uh, books. Hey, remember when we talked about books hours ago, I, a lifetime ago? Hey, I remembered, uh, I forgot to mention a Canadian horror author, Andrew Piper. I like him a lot. I read a book called The Guardians, which is good. So just to sneak in a Canadian author as you're doing our send-off here. Slip it in. Uh, We have a Facebook page. We're on Instagram. That's cool. Uh, We're on Letterboxd. We've got a Ghoul School podcast list going of all the movies that we've talked about so far. Um, You can follow us. I'm Jared Duncan, RJ's Barnloaf. Mm -hmm. We're on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, all those podcasting platforms. You can give us a follow. Um, Yeah, next episode, uh, we'll be going back to our Criterion Creep, and we'll be discussing Alex Cox's Sid and Nancy uh, hopefully it gets a fairer shake, uh, mm-hmm. even though it falls in the midst of all our horror viewing. Um, right. RJ, I've heard you've been brushing up on your sex pistols. Uh, I do have a few sex pistols, but not the kinds you think. Oh, well, we'll talk about that on our next school school, I guess. Uh, yep. All right. Well, that's it for us. Good night, folks. All right. See you in hell. <laughs> <laughs>